go see a boxing match. He yeah. doesn't even want that to be the three, two, one. We live? Are we live? Yeah, we were just talking about uh, Sober October and uh, Ari Shafir and the the speculation that he may be, in fact, uh, doing running some shenanigans. We do not know. There, it seems to be shenanigans at play here. But he he went too strong the first day. I just don't. I don't believe that you could sustain that amount of that heart rate. For he was that at long. eighty plus. It's interesting to look at his graph because he was at eighty plus percent of his max heart rate for more than an hour and twenty minutes. Which uh, look, he might just be trying to kill himself. It, it. He's got a strong will. Does he? Yes. I know he's yeah. shifty. <laughs> and honest. Like the How thing can is, he be is shifty and honest. Because he, he'll eventually come out with, "This is what I did," and of course right. I did that. You guys knew I was doing it the whole time. That's what he'll say. That's but, a good impression of Ari. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, of course. Of course, I was going to do that. So yeah, but he is shifty and on. Like he, he, he. He's a prankster. He's a prankster. He's definitely gonna do some weird stuff to get ahead in this but he also knows he's gonna lose too do you know he's... what he did in legion, legion of skanks no oh, he, sh- he shit in a box and mm. brought it onto the stage and he had it like sealed up and then opened it in front of everybody and apparently the smell was like so horrendous people were bailing out of the room <laughs> and gagging and throwing up it's like a public health hazard you're not supposed to like have shit human shit in public he's so <laughs> weird he's the best love them. And the Legion of Skanks, they've seen everything. Yeah. And for them to be running out of the room. Yeah, they've done everything and seen everything, mm-hmm. and, Ari, and Ari still freaked them out. I can't believe that I just now heard that story. Like, that should be like a headline <laughs> that someone shit in a box and brought it into a room where the live prod- podcast was taking place. But it was no. a small room, too. <laughs> I mean, it was like a room with like a hundred people in it. I love it. And I love someone up. who's not scared to, to talk about shit and deal with shit. And yeah. Just no, Ari's not scared of that. I mean... Look, the fact that he entered into this contest at all, and he doesn't work out at all for 10 years, and then he's like, there's a fitness contest, and the loser has to do something. We haven't totally determined what yeah. the loser has to do. Ari wants us to, like, drink each other's piss. He, he wants, wants to drink yeah. your piss. That's what Ari wants to do. Yeah, he can't think he's, he's going win. to lose. Right. He might not lose. Right now, Tom Segura is in the bottom. Tom Segura's at the bottom. I think Tom is going to... I think he, I mean, you're obviously set to win this thing, but I think Tom's going to sneak up. He's playing it down. You looked at his wrist yesterday. You go, what's a thousand something? Oh, that's nothing. Just the calories he burned that day, a thousand. Mm. Tom's, Tom's sneaky. Mm. Yeah, he's, a lot of people feel like that. I really think he's going to, yeah. he's going to do something on this. He's going to be the one to, to beat. You got to realize though, Bert ran a marathon. He did run a marathon. I know. He's got, this is, a, this is fun. I have to say, because I don't, <laughs> any one of you could pull ahead, but you're the, I mean, can we talk about what you did yesterday? Yeah, I, I worked out for three hours and 20 minutes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to double everyone. It's a marathon. Everyone. Yeah. I'm trying to break Bert's will. That's what I'm really trying to do. Because he, he talks all this Mickey Mantle jean shit. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm crazy. You don't understand. I will work out twice a day like that. I will I'll try to give you a fucking heart attack, you fat fuck. I would love to say <laughs> You will, too. He'll, you'll kill him. You could I, I kill him. I just don't know if he's going to... I don't know how long he's going to keep it up. Because, like, <laughs> Bert's very competitive up to a point. Like, the, the, with the weight loss challenge, Tom stayed steady. 
and Tom won in the end. And mm-hmm. one big Bert tried. He tried to sprint towards the end. Right. But it was too little, too late. And Tom was talking shit the entire time. Like, I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna fuck off until the very end, then you're gonna try to catch up, but it's gonna be too late. And he was right. Yep. Yeah. Bert I don't know if Bert's will can be broken. Has it been broken before? Uh well, it's not his will. It's the the discipline aspect. See, mm. when you're dealing with an entire month, you have thirty one days of having to get after it. So how often do you get after it normally? See, that's the thing. Yeah. The difference between me and Bert is I work out almost every day already. So for me, it's just like those days off don't exist anymore. So what I've decided to do on my days off is just do shit that I wouldn't normally do. So yeah. I'll do the elliptical machine for two hours or I'll do something else. I just, I'll do something else. But the whole time I'm thinking, I'm going to break Bert. I'm going to break Bert. <laughs> Fuck your Mickey Mantle jeans. Yeah, you guys were talking about like who you think about when you're really trying to get past th- that point where you're either you're, you're kickboxing or even yeah. on an elliptical. Sometimes you got to get angry. Yeah. And you think of Bert. Right now you're thinking right, about Bert. Right now I'm thinking of Bert. Thinking of Bert breaking Bert. <laughs> Breaking his will. I don't understand. You guys are all <laughs> addicts in different For ways. Sure. And this is so interesting to watch because you're right. Y- you already work out a-, a lot. You're an h- extremely healthy guy, but you're now going to take it. You're ex- I can see the excitement on all of you to take this to just an excruciating level because it, it gets obsessive and it gets fun. Like you can yeah. work. But that's the thing. I'm excited to talk to you at the beginning of this when you're still pumped up about it and right. it's like you get a high from working out for three and a half hours a day 17 We're, days from now i'm gonna be a beaten man yeah you are <laughs> and you're gonna get a surge at the end when it gets close again right. but 17 days you're right that's not gonna be a fun day for you yeah well i don't know who knows you know did you ever see there's a, a really interesting documentary with eddie izzard and eddie izzard who's not a guy in really good did you see it i didn't see it but i know what he's done i love that guy He's he, so impressive. He's amazing. What he did was he ran around Europe. He did a marathon a day with no training. I mean, no training. He wasn't he wasn't in shape. He was overweight. His feet weren't prepared. His feet got destroyed. And I watched this in the beginning. I watched this. I was like, how is he going to do this? And then towards the end, I was like, wow, this guy is a force of will. Just sheer will. I mean, his lifestyle is not that... He's exercising consistently, and this is just, he's just going to do a little bit more and really push himself hard. No, no exercise. Yeah. Just like, I don't think he exercised at all. Or if he did, it was just, he just had a, a normal body. You know, he didn't have a body of someone I know, you who's look at him, to... you go, a marathon a day out of this yeah. guy? Anyone could do that. But it's, it's so mental. Mental, yeah. And I think, I think a lot of comedians have that. Uh, maybe I'm just doing the thing what comedians do of patting themselves on the back for being more interesting than other people, <laughs> like we do all the time. Like we're yeah. so much more broken and yeah. we have such more, more willpower. But I think that there's – I get obsessed with exercise too and I really get into it and I kind of – I remember Louis C.K. doing some interview where he said that he runs five miles a day because – on that fourth mile when he doesn't want to do the fifth, he thinks about like a day where he'll be on set and want to just call it a day and not push through. And it's like how it all relates. Like, Or mm. you'll be in the middle of an hour set and you'll be tired and you just – everything can relate to being on set or in the middle of a set. And that run five miles a day, making yourself do that means you can get through anything. And so I, I run a lot and I have – I think of it the same way. It's just endurance, 
to perform for an hour every night, like that's insane that we do that. Well, if you have more energy, you definitely can put out more during a show. So if you are in better shape, yeah. you'll have more cardio. You won't get exhausted. You'll be able to put out more energy. You'll be more vibrant, more robust. You know, you 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 really. Kind of, I mean, in some ways, if you're doing like an hour a night, especially if you're doing two shows a night, huh. right? You owe it to yourself to, to have an energy reserve. Yeah. yeah. It's just that I just think that running can re, running so monotonous. And it, there's so many times where you could go, I could just not do this. I right. could just start walking and yeah. who cares? But something about pushing yourself through a run when you could give up, it always you never regret it. I'll say that. Yeah. You never regret keeping running when you could just walk. It's like a moving meditation in a lot of ways. Yes. You're, you're forcing your mind to take control of your body, and you're forcing your mind to ignore all of the aches and pains and all the, the desire to quit. That's what people say that run marathons, you know, that you just have to – like my friend John Joseph says it best. He said, you got to tell your, – your mind has to tell your body who the fuck the boss is. God. It is. I just did Dancing with the Stars. So Holy I'm, shit! I just That's got a eliminated lot of work. last week. That's a lot of work. It was so physically exhausting. For it was a month of my life. Every day, four hours a day dancing, and I've never danced before. And um, but it was. I didn't realize how mental it it all really is. Oh, In yeah. the end, like a- a- athletics. It's, it's so mental. I didn't realize it because I've never been an athlete my whole life. But before I got into this competition, I was like reading all the books about like, well, I am where I am physically. That's not going to change. So I better figure out a way to mentally overcome some stuff. And I was able to. But man, it is it's all that. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of times and it broke me in many ways, mentally and physically. But it, it was, I mean, it was my sober October for sure. <laughs> it was my you working out every single day and giving it trying to beat Bert. It's definitely not easy. There's not there's nothing. I did um a bunch of uh dancing lessons for a movie that I was in called Zookeeper with Kevin James yeah. way back in the day. And uh I had to learn how to dance. And then I had to learn how to dance with Leslie Bibb, you know, from Talladega oh, Nights. Yeah. She was my ex-girlfriend that I was trying to win back from Kevin in the movie. So I had to learn how to like there was a scene where we dance in this ballroom and uh you know, it's you realize how difficult it is like for hours we're practicing these moves and it's fucking monotonous and here's the thing i don't give a fuck about dancing so it's something like i had to force myself to do that i didn't really want to do it's not that i don't give a fuck about like dancing's fun if you just do whatever you want but when you're doing this very specific pattern to certain music and you did oh yeah i oh yes this is the scene (laughs) Kevin oh, James and Rosario. Oh my gosh! Look at you. Yeah, we had to practice this shit over and over again for weeks and weeks. What was that? You? Yeah, it that was, was good. It was exhausting. There was a lot to it. It was so stupid. It's so hard. Dancing is so hard, and just like you, I wow, that's good. I don't I don't care about it. I, yeah. I I I don't it's not something when I want to be good at something, I will give everything to be good at it. And it, and here's the other thing. If you have a natural ability to begin with, if someone goes, you've got a 
you got a knack for this. You go, oh, well, I'm good. I'm going to keep trying. When I walked into this, I've never, no one's ever been like, you've got rhythm, girl. No one's ever, <laughs> no one's ever given me even the slightest nudge towards any kind of um, playing, you know, having any musical ability or having any dance ability. If anything, I've been shamed my whole life. And then they asked me to do this <laughs> literally my whole life. I've never danced at weddings. I don't dance at concerts because I just know that I'm going to be made fun of in some way. And obviously no one's even thinking about me, but in my head, it's the, it's my most insecure thing to do. I would rather have sex on, on, on TV. A hundred percent. Really? Than do Dancing with the Stars. If there was a... I, I, Fucking with the stars? I Sign me up, Joe. I'm serious. This was my biggest fear. But you can't turn down these things when they're offered to you. I feel like, especially if there's something that scares you that much as, as this did, I was like, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm not going to die doing this. What's the worst that could happen is I'm voted off first, and they say really mean, the judges say mean things about my do dancing style. Do they get mean? Style. Are they like Simon from... Yeah. Are they mean? Really? They got mean to me. Ooh. They got really mean to me. You look fucking super serious. <laughs> uh, listen, I got eliminated face. less than like a week ago from the show that I gave so everything to. And I and I went in saying I'm a terrible dancer. I don't know what I'm doing. And I did a whole dance and I didn't mess up, Joe. Like I and I got very injured the day before. I couldn't even move. I couldn't get out of bed. I had to have help because I tore something in my back and I overcame it mentally. I talked myself out of having an injury wow. mentally. Like I meditated my way out of it, which I've done with several different injuries in my life of just like, I, I, I gotta be better. I have to dance on live TV tonight and I couldn't move. I couldn't brush my hair because my arm was hurting so bad that morning. So I just started saying to myself, you're strong, you're prepared and this is easy. You're strong, you're prepared, this is easy. And wow. I said it 3,000 times out loud in the makeup chair all day walking around slowly going from this kind of injury walking like uh, in the morning to okay I'm strong I'm prepared this is easy and then I then at the end of the day I was I, wow. I danced on live TV and I cured myself mentally it was insane dude but they were so mean to me <laughs> Especially Len Goodman, the British old cranky so judge. So the British guy. Yeah. Why are the British guys always assholes? It was it was really hurtful, and I <laughs> took it in stride. But I was very. He called me awkward. Like I I just wanted to walk away from the show not being like a white girl dancing meme. You know, like mm. I just didn't want people to be like, oh, white girls can't dance because. I know I can't dance, and, and I just didn't want to be made fun of, and he made fun of me. He was mm. like, you look awkward, because at the end of it, I just go, I can dance. Like It was just me being funny, because I obviously right. can't, but I was like, I just completed a dance. That if you watch, it's not that terrible. I was very injured that morning. I was proud of myself. And he goes, you were awkward, and you can't dance. You can't dance. And then he, he said other things that I just, I kind of blacked out during it, because I was so <laughs> sad, and I was just holding on to Tom Bergeron for dear, dear life, and um, and then I got eliminated first. So it's so funny to me because I took on this challenge being like, the worst that could happen is that I get eliminated first, which I surely won't do because that's I can't be that bad. I'll be better than somebody. Somebody. Right. 13, 13 people. And I wasn't. I was the worst. My worst fear did happen. I got made fun of on TV. I got eliminated first. And, you know, like being on a reality show, like have you done a reality show where it's like, and the next to the first the first contestant eliminated from the show and then there's dun dun and there's a spotlight on you and I'm staring at the stage like just a slat in the stage I'm just staring there being like they're going to say Nikki and Gleb they're going to say Nikki and Gleb and they Nikki and Gleb and it was just like 
I'm on a reality show right now getting eliminated. It was so surreal and it sucked. <laughs> and it's it sucked. <clears throat> and I'm still obviously very much feeling it. And I loved the show. I wanted to like keep going. I wanted to do different dances. I like was ready to really, because I just learned how to learn how to dance. So right. I had to learn how to learn how to, because I'd never danced before in my life. Never learned the Marcarina. Like I was, I took myself out of any kind of dancing uh, uh, that was offered to me in school because I was just like, I'm a bad dancer. I don't want anyone to make fun of me. I'll never dance. And I sign up for the show. I learn a dance. I nail it. As much as I can nail something, I was very proud of myself. And then I get eliminated, and it it really obviously I'm like still I'm just. Has anybody ever done it two years in a row? I would love to do it. I was almost no. But why I, don't you start taking dancing lessons? I would love to. Why don't you do that and then come back next year and shove it up that British guy's ass? I don't think they'd want me back. I bet they would. I. I bet they have a hard time getting people to do that show. Why did they let me go so soon then, Joe? Because it didn't feel like it was because of my dancing. It felt, you know, when a, when you get eliminated from one of these shows that you just go, oh, they don't, someone at the top doesn't like me. There's something mm. else involved here. It's not that America. That might be your own head, though. Yeah. That might I be mean, your it's, own head. It's probably just, but out of 13 people, they liked me the least. Well, maybe, just being honest, yeah. you had the worst performance. <laughs> Isn't that possible? I mean, you you, you don't dance. Look, I, I did could, not. If I was on with you, I probably would have had a worse performance. I don't fucking dance, right? Right. So it's like, you think about your base that you're coming from. You, you're you're not a person who dances. Right. This is this is a totally new thing for you. But if now you have this in your head and you decide to take dancing lessons and you do it on a regular basis, just once, twice a week for a year, you could be fucking amazing by the time next year rolls around. God. I really, I gotta see if they allow people to enter a second time. I guarantee time. you they will. But look, I, it's fucking hard to get people to do that show. A lot of people say no. A lot of people. It's a massive commitment. Yeah, Most it people, is. Yeah, the, a lot of people don't have the courage or the time or the interest. I did you know? last Comic Standing twice and got the same place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this isn't looking good for me. That was that was. Was the, it with different hosts or the same host? It was a different host, different uh, judges. Because the first time I did it, I was in college, and I like there was no reason for me to even get as far as I got. And I was but a last year comic in. standing. Let's be honest; it was rigged. What, did you ever host or yes. do it? Yeah, I you was, hosted. I was no, I was one of the judges. Okay. And there was there was a real issue with one season, not with mine, but with uh, Brett Butler, Drew Carey, and a couple other people. <clears throat> they protested because the person they voted for did not make it through because the producers decided that they knew better and because they wanted the television show to be more interesting. So they wanted someone more controversial or whatever, whatever it was. So it was this huge deal where they're like, wait a minute, why are we here as judges if you're not even counting our vote? Like, this is all a puppet show. Like, what, what's right. happening here? And then there was also conflict because one of the guys who was a producer was also a manager of some of the people that were on the show. And people were like, what the fuck? You know, was, th there was a lot of issues. There was a lot of issues with that show. Yeah. But I think that's every reality 
Yeah, but it's a contest. There's there's rules. Like I would tell people like that wanted to be on Fear Factor. Like they would say, "Hey man, can you get me on Fear Factor?" I'd say, "Stop right now." There's very specific rules about game shows. Like I can't even talk to you if you want to be on the show. I can't say, "Hey man, I'm gonna get you on the show because I like you and I'm gonna help you." I can't do that. Yeah, it's like, there's you laws. can't even if you want to be on the show, don't talk to me. Right. Because if if I have to go to court, like, do you remember that that show Quiz Show? Yeah, the, the the movie was yes. based upon that right. controversy. Yeah, because yeah. it was a fraudulent show. Because during that show, they decided this one guy who was winning, they decided it was a great thing to have him keep winning, and so they rigged the show. And because of that, there's actual federal laws about how you organize and yeah. run game shows. It's it's there's real laws behind this. So now that's stuff. why I think I can't go back. <laughs> I don't think I've that's already, the case. I really, I love this idea. I would like to tell ABC I am interested in coming back and They're going to hear int- this. They're I know. They're going to hear this, and I guarantee you, you can go back. Listen, I would fucking- love to go back. I had the best time. I just want to be a dancer now. I don't, <laughs> like, I stopped doing comedy because I just wanted to focus solely on dancing, and and I started doing comedy towards the end because you do something four hours a day that you're terrible at. You want to go do something you're good at just to, like, get your ego back in place because I was beaten down four hours a day of just I'm terrible and I was able to get to a place where I could kind of have my uh, my teacher Gleb Savchenko is one of the best dancers in the world he would just say like I've never he's been a teacher teaching dance since he was 14 years old and he was like I've never met someone who is so bad at like I've never (laughs) met someone who's I go I'm special needs dancing like if this were a if I would be on the short bus for dancers. I just mm. don't have whatever it takes. But I worked hard enough that I was able to learn a very difficult but let me, dance. Let me stop you there. It's not that you don't have what it takes. Is you've never exercised it. Yes. You know how to move. You're you're not ambulatory. You, I see you I know, walking I don't around. Mean to say that I'm it, disabled in any way. But whatever some people are born with that gives them a natural rhythm and like ability to dance. I don't. I'm I think there's very at, little of that, and a lot of it is just a bunch of dancing. You know, and you're, <laughs> you're doing, right. I just yeah. haven't danced at all. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you never played basketball and you went and played basketball, you're like, God damn it, I'm terrible. I thought I was going to kick ass. Yeah. You know, that's like a lot of people feel like that about fighting. Like a lot of people think if I ever fought, I'd fuck people up. Like you, yeah. Good luck. You think that? Good luck. That's the thing is I wanted I kept saying down the barrel of the camera I'm like if you're watching at home being like why can't this girl do this because it would be like clapping that I couldn't get or walking and clapping together mm-hmm. and I could just picture people at home watching me struggle and be like oh, I could do that like I say to the computer when I watch this stuff but I'm like until you do it you don't know how hard this is it look everyone assumes that they can do it just like stand up but here's the difference with stand up is like I had people just like you did throughout your childhood and growing up be like, you're funny. You've got like, no one's ever been like, you should dance. Mm. Like, no, do you know what I mean? Like, we have a natural knack at what we do that's kept us, that made us even try it in the first place, right? Right. Like, who was the first person that you remember being like, you're funny? Well, there's like one guy in specific that I'm still very good friends with. His name's Steve Graham. He's an ophthalmologist, actually. And when we were uh, we were friends, I was 15, and he was probably in his late 20s, and uh, we were training together. We were doing martial arts together, and uh, he was just—I would just do impressions of our friends, and and he was like, "You should be a comedian." 
And I was like, get the fuck out of here. There's no way, man. I was like, look, I'm, I'm, I say fucked up things that you think are funny because you're fucked up too. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, regular people are going to think I'm an asshole. Like, I just wanted to make people laugh that were around me. I didn't, you know. Yeah. And then I started going, uh, I went to an open mic night. And then I realized, like, oh, there's like a whole, this is like martial arts. Like, there's a whole process of learning. Like, I didn't think of it that way. I thought people were just really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, like, hey, it's Jerry Seinfeld. Like, when I was and in high school. And he just gets up and talks. Yeah. When I was in high, well, senior year in high school, uh, this girl that I was dating, we went to see Jerry Seinfeld at the Paradise. It was this big club in, in Boston. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, this, this guy's incredible. He's just talking. And all these people are laughing. Like, this is amazing. Like, what a, what a crazy ability to do that. You know, and just, wow, blew me away. And then a couple years later, I was doing it. Yeah. You know? It's weird. It is. That, that's, I would love to see a picture of you in that crowd that night, never having been on stage with a mic, like, and then look at you now. It's just so crazy, those moments of, like, in your life where you were at a Jerry Seinfeld show going, whoa, I could never do that. Yeah. Joe Rogan, that's so nuts. It was weird. That, and now you're... Like you and Jerry Seinfeld to me are like one in the same. Like that's the same. So that's that's cool. But that, what I'm saying is that you need these people in your early on. You need to be. I would never have done stand up comedy had someone not been like you should be a comedian. I was right. like desperate for anyone to give me any kind of direction. Right. And then some one person says it. One ophthalmologist says it, and yeah. then it becomes your career. And that's why I'm always. I always try to just. Tell when I see people like something in someone, I try to say that because you don't know if you're the one person that's gonna get them to go do it. I do that too. I've tried to talk like a hundred people into being comedians. Yeah. 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 I've always tried to tell friends that I have that are funny. I'm like, you should just try it. Just go up at an open mic night and give it a shot. I always just say, do it if you want to do it. Do it now because you're gonna do it eventually, and you're gonna regret not you doing it not sooner. You might not do it. You might not do it. There was yeah. this nurse that used to work at this uh, doctor's office that I go to. She was fucking hilarious, <laughs> and I was always telling her, "Listen to me. You should fucking do comedy. You really should try it." And she never did it, you know. And I, I, I went there for years. I was like, and she thought about doing it. She said, "I'm gonna come to an open mic night." I go, "Tell me when you're going. I'll go. I'll go. I'll meet you there. I'll I'll help you." I'll introduce you to the whole process. I'll show you how it works. I'll show you there's a sign up. People go up. Listen, yeah. she's not meant to do it. Well, it's like you can lead. <laughs> what's that expression? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yep. Yeah, it's like. I know. But just, I think you have to be fucked up to want that kind of rejection and humiliation that we got in the early days. Like the early days. To like people see you now, you go up in the main room, hey, ladies and gentlemen, Nikki Glazer, ah, clap, clap, laugh, thank you, good night. Seems like fun. Hey, that seems like a great gig. But see you when you're an open micer and you're around all those fucking psychopaths that are signing up for open mics. They're all smelly and Stanford creepy. Stanford and Sons in Kansas City. <laughs> oh, is That's that where we I started. started dude. Oh my God. I heard Craig just died recently. I know. I know. We used to call him Beetlejuice because he talked to you like this. Hey, yeah. Nikki. Nick, you want to really work here? Come sit on Craig's lap, Uncle Craigie. Yep. It, it, it. That takes me right started. back, dude. Yeah. You started there. That was a fun gig. It was a fun gig. I used to love that place. It, uh, classic road gig. Just seedy. Didn't yeah. know if you were going to get paid the full amount. <laughs> Good shows, too. Rowdy, drunk. Yeah. Kansas City's a fun place. It was a fun place. I was just there a couple weeks ago, and I did some crazy outdoor place. Some outdoor amphitheater. It was awesome. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was really it's weird. It's not always 
great. I didn't even know outside. it was as outdoor until we got there. <laughs> I, I was there with you have uh, one of those gigs where you're like, I've done no, I didn't read any of the emails about this. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to anything. <laughs> yeah, it was me and Santino. Santino oh, was nice. like, I think this is outside. I was like, get the fuck out of here. It's not outside. <laughs> and like, oh, it's outside. Oh, it was strange. Yeah, it started in Kansas City, but that it just. I've been relating it recently. I'm like working on a bit about encouraging people early on because I I do look at the people that told me you should be a comedian when I right before I tried it because I was going to be an actress and then I was like I'm not really good at this and I'm not I I don't care enough to get good at it like I see what it takes to be great at being an actress and I was just like I don't want to do that right but then someone was like you're funny you should try stand up and then that that was like oh I'm I care enough about this to like go through the worst of it and get good but I I often I've been exploring recently on stage, like, blowjobs um, I've been talking through, and I think it's the same thing because I'm not, like, great at them. I've never been like, wow, you're the best at this. And and I've never been a girl who's like, I love giving blowjobs. And I've always heard girls, like, there's some girls that say that, like, I love sucking dick. And I've always been like. Do they say that to you or do they say it to guys? They say it. It just out it, there. It, it just out there, and yeah. I've always called bullshit on it because I just think it's like you're just serving a guy, and you there's no way that you can enjoy it. Like it's not that comfortable of a thing, but maybe you get some uh, what's the the compersion where you enjoy someone else's pleasure. In, yes, so maybe it's <clears> that. <throat> but now I realize that the difference between me and those girls is that those girls, the first time they gave a blowjob, I guarantee, or one of the first times, the guy was like, "You're amazing at this." You're really good at this because when a girl is told or anyone is told early on the first time they do something that like you have a na- you have a natural talent at this. You go, I, I do. And then you do it again and again because you're like, I'm good at this. This is my thing. And then you get good at it and you're like, it's my thing. But no one ever said that to me about blowjobs early on. It was always just kind of like a means to an end. And I feel like if someone would have just been like lied to me. So I am. I ask guys now, like, just lie to every girl. If you get a blowjob and it's, like, mediocre, just be like, you're the best at this ever. Like, this is the best blowjob I've ever received. Because she will be so – it'll make her feel good. What's it going to hurt that she thinks she's the best at this thing that she's not that great at? But she'll do it a lot because she'll be like, I'm great at this, and this guy thinks I'm the greatest at it. So she'll do it a lot. And then by doing a lot, she'll get better, and then everyone wins. Yeah, maybe. Or she could just suck a lot of dicks and people will lie to her. And then her self-esteem gets shattered if she runs into the one dude and said, who the fuck told you you're good at this? <laughs> and she's that like, everybody told happen. me I was great. No, no, you're not good at this at all. It's all teeth and you're always choking. <laughs> this is crazy. But maybe, maybe even a girl that is really good at them can meet a guy that's like, you're terrible. Mm. Like, because everyone likes different styles. So right. I think that you run that risk regardless. Maybe some guys just like really bad blowjobs, right? Like some guys like blowjobs from someone who seems like they've never done it before. That way they don't feel like they're the 90th in line. Oh, that's a really good point, Joe. Mm. Like, you could be into a blowjob that's kind of apprehensive and like, what right. am I doing? Like, because that... You, how does this They work? like a virgil yeah. type yeah. Like situation. Yeah, she's putting on an act. She's got pigtails on. I just... Schoolgirl outfit. What am I doing? Wait, what do you teach... What do you do with this? Are you sure? Oh my God, my friend recently, because we've talked a lot about... Me and my friend have talked a lot about how we just are insecure that we're bad at blowjobs, and we've taken classes at Babeland or wait, all these wait, things. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, 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 they, t- they give out classes oh, on yeah. how to give blowjobs? Who's teaching the classes, girls or guys? 
Uh, I think it was like a gay guy and a That's woman together. A gay guy. That's oh, yeah. what I was thinking. A gay guy should know how to suck a dick because he has one. I've read everything. I've watched tutorials. I just, it's just not getting through to me. I just, <laughs> I haven't. I try, and I'm not like bad at them. Like I, I don't think I'm, I'm bad at them. But I just, I think I always was apprehensive because I think the first thing I heard about blowjobs was that the first complaint I would hear around me was too much teeth, and I've always had like really big teeth, and so I'm like, smile. I have big teeth, so I'm like, they're not abnormal. But I always just was like, I, I had buck teeth as a kid, so I was. People always called me like a beaver. I was Mm. like, my teeth are gonna get in the in the way of this. So I immediately, that was my biggest issue. And then you learn that like, that's easy to like work around. And then, so anyway, but my friend said that she learned this new trick where when she's hooking up, she'll do a role play of like, will you teach me how to do a blowjob? But she's actually like wanting them to teach her. And so it's a hot thing where like she gets to role play, but Mm. she honestly doesn't know and gets, and then the guy tells her exactly what to do. And then if she messes up, it's like part of the character as opposed to her being bad at blowjobs. So that's Mm. my next thing I'm going to try, I think. Mm. So the guy's invested in the project. Yeah, and if you mess up, you're only you're just that's part of your character. You're just right. being good at yeah. the role play. Yeah, it's but, not because you're innately bad at blowing. But then jobs. when you break up, you're like, "Listen, asshole, I sucked a hundred <laughs> dicks before you. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was trying to make you feel better. You fucking loser." By the way, they were all bigger than yours, all of them. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about sex obviously i'm well your act is very much like that it is but it's and i hate being pegged no pun intended (laughs) as like a sex comic but like i don't because i just did this abc show dancing with the stars and the whole time i'm trying to be on my very best behavior because i I want to play the game. I don't want to be right. the sex girl. You want to get kicked off from yeah. the first episode. I don't want to offend children watching at home. That's not my... Right. I'm never talking about sex so people go, ooh, she's... You do nightclub comedy. You're there for adults. Well, I'm just talking about what I want to talk about. Right. Obviously, we, we all know that. Um, but I think sometimes people are like, you're the sex comic. It's like, I just think that's the most interesting topic right now. That's why I'm talking about it. Yeah. But I was, that becomes a problem, right? Like you get labeled... Yeah. Yeah. It sucks because I have ambition beyond being a comedian who talks about sex, but already I've brought it there with you because it is my wheelhouse. I'm most comfortable talking about it. It's fun to talk about. I have a lot of opinions about it, but I was trying to behave myself so much on Dancing with the Stars because I don't want to be labeled as that, but... And I also was like, didn't have sex I was 21. I Really? Yeah, I was not like... And then I didn't because I was... um, all through high school, I was just like scared of guys. I don't know why. I was just scared of intimacy, scared of boys. Couldn't, didn't kiss a boy until I was seventeen, and even then, it was like one shot deal. And then I didn't do it for years. And then I got an eating disorder, which like pushed men away because I looked like a skeleton. And then, as soon as I was able, then I, I had sex, but it was years and years, and, until I started like drinking, I couldn't have sex. <laughs> And then I quit drinking, and I couldn't have sex again. Think about how many people have gotten laid because of booze. Everyone. It's stunning. Joe. Do you remember when there was this ridiculous time just a few years ago where they were trying to push this narrative that if you have sex with someone who's been drinking, that you're a rapist, even if you're drinking too? This is this like weird third-wave feminist nonsense where they were... Like adults, like two grown adults have a couple of drinks. You're not supposed to do that because they can't consent because they're drinking. And so people were literally calling people and accusing people of rape because they had sex with each other while they were both drunk. 
No. Yeah. Well, this was a this a, well. Here's it was a real weird time, and it, they've abandoned it because it's so preposterous and the pushback was so hard. But you're responsible for yourself every other time when you're drunk. If you're driving, you're responsible. If you get in a fight, you're responsible. Whoa, yeah. You're responsible during all those things. But somehow or another, if you and a person are ex- exchanging pleasure then you are not responsible for your actions and you can't consent to that because you've been drinking. And then it becomes rape. And it's only, really only rape in the case of the guy. It's never rape like a girl raped a guy because the guy was drunk. Right. Even though I know stories of where that's happened, where a guy wakes up from a blackout and a girl is... Sucking his dick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... And he's like, hey, do I know you? If it was the other way around, that's... Right. Rape. Rape. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but I. It, but obviously, it's not the same. No, and right. no one would be having sex if we didn't. If we didn't have alcohol, like so It'd be a lot few less people, people. So few people. Because It'd be like thirty percent of the people having sex. Dude, <laughs> think about casual. Se- that's my whole yeah. point right now. Is like I can't have. I'm like single. I can't even have casual sex because I'm sober. So how long have you been sober? Seven. It'll be seven years in December from Whoa. alcohol. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And before then, I was hooking up a left and right. It was so fun. I was blacking out just to have sex because I was scared of intimacy. I'm realizing all of this now. It's like you going I don't... through therapy, the whole deal. You doing all that jazz? Yeah, I go through therapy. I work on myself constantly. I meditate. I do all mm. the things. And I'm. I, I don't know if I'm any. I am better for it. But mm, I realize that I'm not getting. I'm not having sex, and it's not fun. Like I right. am. I'm hooking up with ex boyfriends. Which, you know, that's because there's no pressure there of like, this is new right, and right, am I going right. to catch feelings? It's like they've already been had or, they're, or right. they'll bubble up again. You for... just get to scratch an itch. Yes. Yes. But, but having like new sex casually, like I just can't, I can't even imagine doing that. But I had so much when I drank because it just makes everything easier. Yeah. And I used to just, and, and I asked the crowd sometimes, I'm like, have you guys ever, who here has had sex for the first time with someone where both of you were stone cold sober? First time sex. Literally two people raised their hand in, a, in the main room of the comedy Porn store. Porn stars. No, exactly. <laughs> no, you're so right. No one listening yeah. at home right now, wherever you are, have well, you ever had sex for the first time with someone where you're both sober? It doesn't happen in our society. Well, alcohol gets abused for sure, yeah. but it also gets used. Used correctly, like yeah. there's there's good oh. things to alcohol. I think it's a technology that alleviates a lot of your inhibitions and it makes people feel better. Oh, and I miss it for that reason. Do you, are you a, an addict? I mean, is it possible that you could drink a little bit? I'd be fine drinking a little bit. I know I would. That's but the first thing you say before you wake up in the gutter. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I just like. I know I, how I am with weed, and I have to. I start out and I go. I'll just get high as a treat. Right. You know, after a set, and then I go, it'd be fun to be high for this set. And then it's like, it'd be fun to be high when I wake up in the morning. And so it always it always snowballs into I'm high all day. And then mm. I have to go, okay, sober October, and I quit for a month, and then I build it back up again. Is that what you're doing right now with weed? Like, you say you're sober. So you're sober with alcohol, but with you smoke alcohol. a little weed? But I smoke a little weed, and I've gone years in this seven years of not smoking weed. And um, I'm, But I'm back on it. I quit for Dancing with the Stars because my short-term memory was shit, and you can't learn dance steps when you're high. Right. I thought it might, like, help mm-hmm. me. No. But no. I, be, I think if you already knew it, if you had it locked in your memory, then it would be good because you would, like, feel it more. Yes. 
Yeah. But the, it was terrible for me. So I quit for three weeks. And the second I got eliminated, I started again and mm. have. So it's been a week of me smoking weed again. And it's already like it's, you know, the snowball effect is in is in play. But weed does not derail my work ethic. Mm. It makes me work out more. It makes me think in a different creative way. And it eventually impedes me. When it starts to interfere with like my voice, if I start getting like hoarse more, because I'm doing radio every morning, and then does I'm, it make you hoarse? Yeah, because I just like inha- I don't know how to inhale or something. I just <laughs> why don't you use edibles? I do, but those aren't. I like to like I like to feel it in my lungs and feel it mm. immediately. If there was right. an immediate edible, edible right. I'd do it. Yeah. But what um, about vaporizers? I like those too, but again, those fuck up my voice too. I don't know what I'm doing really? wrong. Yeah, hmm. but um, yeah. I so but with alcohol, I, I will say like I just could see it snowballing into a, a point where I would quit again. But I just I've never. I miss drinking a lot for the sex thing, for the dancing thing, like just dancing to music in general. Like is more fun. Like right, if you're drunk. Yeah. Just life, like first two drinks, like life is like pretty great. Yeah, for a couple like two of drinks. drinks. Yeah, you but feel good. Sending text messages I don't want to send, reaching right. out to guys I don't want to <laughs> talk to in the morning, all of that anxiety, the, the hangover. That's what I'm avoiding is the hangover. And with weed, yeah. you don't, I don't have a hangover. Yeah. Do you get hangovers? Yeah, from weed? No. No, but from, but from booze, from, sure. And does it make you want to quit and question everything? I mean, how oh, do you I keep have, your drinking sure. in check? Um, I've never had a problem with drinking and, and like, it's never been like god i need a drink i've never been like yeah. like like sober october was the first time i did absolutely nothing for a whole month i didn't smoke a joint i didn't do mushrooms i didn't nothing mm. right it wasn't that hard what was interesting about it was the dreams hmm. first of all because the dreams come hard and fast when you're off the weed and they, because apparently I talked to this guy, Dr. Matthew Walker, who's a dream specialist, and he was uh, on the podcast discussing the importance of uh, sleep, sleep specialist, I should say. Yeah. But he was saying that marijuana, it, it impedes certain aspects of REM sleep, which is when you do all your dreaming. So when you um, get off the marijuana, your brain apparently makes up for lost time and hits you with some crazy fucking dream, talking frogs and fucking unicorns and you know, roller coasters that go straight to heaven and like fucking bananas dreams. Did like, you have that? Oh, Are you having oh, that? Oh my God. Well, the thing is, this time for uh, Sober October, I was way tapered off. By the time this rolled around, like I smoked a little pot in Toronto on Saturday, but I mean a little like I took like one or two hits. I had a drink, maybe two drinks. I, had, I think I had one drink when I went on stage and then I had a couple of glasses of wine after the show. Mm-hmm. We went out to this uh, restaurant after the show. But yeah, it was a, this was an easy one because I was kind of re- but I, I think I slowed down after last year. I think uh, doing that uh, sober October thing made me realize, like, hmm, there's like some, there's some. I, I've, I'm, I'm of that school that, right? Unfortunately, that all my favorite comics did drugs, all of them. Yeah. Hicks, Kinnison, Pryor, 
everyone did drugs. They were, they were all, I mean, Pryor was Coke. I've never touched Coke, but Kinison was Coke too. Mm. But Hicks was more psychedelics. And I mean, he did Coke and alcohol and all that other stuff before. But there was, there was all, they were all like these wild fucks. Like Ron White is a good friend of mine, always drunk. And there's like this part of that life that, you know, there's so, it's so attractive because it's just like this wild, loose, carefree, rebellious, figured out tomorrow life. <laughs> and that's, that's the life of the comic. But I realized like after last year, Sober October, that there's a lot of that stuff you could do if you're sober. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it's, I think, as I said, you can abuse alcohol, but you can also use it. You know, you can use it. You can you can have a couple drinks and feel good, and you enjoy the moment more. You know, there's there's something there's something to it, but it's really a matter of your own personality and discipline. It's like how much and how much of an addict are you? Like what? How much? What is it? What holes are missing? in your brain that get filled up with that booze and that like once you take the booze away there's like this gaping chasm that you need to fill you know what is that and you got to figure out who you are because i know some people that can't have anything they have one drink and then they're off to the races and they're doing meth yeah you know? that's that's not me but it's i just i i, I would get blackout drunk a lot and like after a couple beers like were you less secure then than you are now yeah way, way less secure but i think right. being sober has helped me become more secure but because you're forced to be in the moment yeah i just i worry about my depression too like uh, with adding booze onto depression which i feel like i have a good handle of right now i just don't want to lose it because i think that like I don't know. Obviously, alcohol is a depressant, and so I think that, and and the people that I I I I get really really depressed in that, like in a dangerous way where I'm like I gotta watch it, like I gotta be vigilant about meditating every day to keep my depression at bay. Because so, what do you think that is? Do you think that's a genetic thing? Do you think you're, it runs in your family? I think it must run in my family. I think we have stuff that I haven't even like. Got found out like there's some suspicious deaths in my family that I'm like was that suicide yeah. yeah you know where I'm like I think it's describe how it feels like what does your depression feel like it feels like uh, it honestly I I get suicidal thoughts not like I sh I should kill myself it's like kill yourself it would be fun to kill yourself they come fun literally soothing it soothes me to think about killing myself when I'm in my worst uh, depressive stages, and it is, I compare it to like sniffles when you're getting a cold. Like I have a little, a little thought will go, oh, shoot yourself in the head. Whoa! Like it literally comes into my head like a sniffle where you're like, oh God, I'm getting sick again. Okay, I gotta meditate now, and then it'll, and then I'll be fine. Like literally, it's like that. And what, what is, what's before the uh, shoot yourself? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the Whoa. that's the problem is like Jeez. it just is you know it can be it can be um it maybe it's circumstantial a little bit like maybe I'm feeling lonely that day or a, 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 I didn't get a thing that I wanted or I but I really do think it's like the weather like it I just can't even describe it I remember Sarah Silverman talking about her depression like it's like just a cloud comes over you and you're just like oh well here it comes and that's kind of how it feels and I totally have it under control when i'm meditating every day it doesn't i don't get a single one of those thoughts but like really? if i skip a day 
I don't do TM one day, those thoughts keep, they come in. And then if I, and then you, if you get into a real bad spot, you, those thoughts start. I, and I've never even so much as made an attempt or even planned to make an attempt. Like it's never gotten to that even close to that for me. But I realize that these are the same kind of thoughts that people that end up doing this start with. Like there's mm. some kind of like, mm. I, 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 I'm, I'm. People who love me and care about me get so upset when I talk about this, but I think that more people struggle with these thoughts than talk about. So I, I'm eager to share it because I don't think I'm ever going to kill myself and I don't think that that's – but I think that like a lot of people, I'm at risk and I don't think that people talk about that enough because right. mm-hmm. I do have these thoughts. And I go, it's not even like I go, what can I do to make myself feel better? Oh, I could kill myself. It literally is like kill yourself. It's like – a little voice or something. And I've struggled with mental illness before. I mean, I had anorexia where it was like, don't eat. And you're like, where's that? Who's that? But it's a, it's a voice. Did you have don't eat because you thought you were overweight or don't eat because you thought you'd be more attractive if you looked like All, a, I mean, a rail? What, yeah, I mean, was it, it starts, was it vague? Was the direction vague or was it just like a, an obsession? It, it was, it started out like, you know, um, high school, I should be skinny. Everyone should be skinny. I admire, I like wanted to be a famous someday. And I looked at, I admire, like I idolized everyone in the magazines, the whole classic thing of like looking literally in magazines and being, I want to look like that. I hate myself pinching my sides being like, if I'm not like that, then I'm worthless. Having a mom who constantly hated her body was skinnier than me and constantly said she was fat and things like that. Like Mm. where you just, you have things modeled for you. So I grew up thinking skinny equals more lovable. And then I lost weight just b- because um, my senior year, I lost weight because a boy liked me that I liked, who I liked back. And I was like very nervous about it. Like, you know, when you just get nervous, right. so you, don't, you can't, you don't eat that day. And I had a date with this guy. It was my first date ever. And I just, that day I didn't eat because I was just nervous. And then the next day it showed up on me because someone goes, you look great. What's going on? And I was like, oh, I just didn't eat yesterday. Like, I can do that again. So it's basically the same thing as saying, you're really you're funny. funny. You've got a talent for that. <laughs> you're open to suggestions. I'm really you, you good. You could join a cult. Uh, dude, I know. <laughs> I, I'm scared of it. I've, I, the thing is, I, I am open to suggestion, but the thing is, I am good at, at losing weight. I, I, can, I can stick to a diet and I can black and white things. I can say, I'm not drinking for seven. I can, I can quit things. Right. I can quit eating. Mm. And I have good will. It's like willpower. And right. I learned that like, oh, for the first time, like I could do this. And so I just stopped eating. And then the for a while you get like super hot. Like I was very popular for a couple weeks. And then <laughs> for a hot second, I was hot for a second. And then I got so scary skinny. And then I couldn't stop. Oh, You're, wow. You were just like, I go, I, well, I don't, everyone's like, hey, you looked great like a week ago. Like right now it's like kind of of concern. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do because if I eat, I'll just get fat again. And so I just, I, this is all I know now. And then it becomes, if you eat, you're weak. And then it becomes obsessive compulsive. And then it's not even about being thin anymore Jeez. because you look in the mirror and I would look in the mirror and go like, you're disgusting. Like I looked like I, I look like Holocaust pictures. Like, that's how bad I looked. Do you have photos of yourself from back then that you keep to make sure that you don't ever get back to that spot again? I won't ever get back to that spot again because I'm too vain to do that now. (laughs) And I know, like, when I see it coming, it's the same way of, like, pot. When I see it starting to interfere with my life, I go, okay, you need to stop drinking smoking pot. And when I see myself get too skinny now, I'm like, okay, you need to stop working out. you're, like, chaos, but you kind of have a handle on it. Oh, I totally have a handle on it. I I won't ever... 
be anorexic or die of depression. Like all or these drink things. Drink yourself to death. No, or... I won't. Like I'll go a different way, but like those things right. aren't going to get me because they almost got me before. I mean, anorexia. I I, I should have died. I was going to die from it. And I planned on dying from it. You planned on dying from it. Yeah, because Joe, I was starving. It sucks but to be you starving. Planned on doing that. Yeah, because I wanted to die. I was like some. I, it, How old it was you a slow suicide. Uh, eighteen. Jesus. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I was like, I I stopped weighing myself because it was so dangerous to get attached to a number. But the last time I remember weighing myself, I was ninety. Eight pounds. That was when I was like admitted to a psych ward when I was eighteen. And, and how I, tall are you? I'm five nine. And what do you weigh now? I'm one thirty five now, and I'm skinny now. So yeah, you're not you're not heavy too, by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Right so now, you were like, thirty five pounds lighter than yeah, this plus. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, more. That's but, crazy. I was so thin. I was so like. That's crazy. Everywhere I went, people would point and whisper and talk it was one of those things where it was like you know you've seen girls out and about there's like a that lady and that go, used to go to my yeah. yoga class that yeah. was terrifying yeah she was so scary she looked like i mean she was a small person too she was only like five one or five two and she looked like she probably weighed 80 pounds yeah it was awful it's and that's the way people and i see girls like that now and i I do the same thing that people used to say to me, which is like, just eat a sandwich, bitch. Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't, I know yeah. you can't say that, but I don't even relate to the person I was when I wasn't eating because right. I, the only way I can say is like, I could not eat. I could not do. It was almost like if you were to like, if a protein shake, it was like drinking poison. Like, I'm going to die if I drink this. It was that hard to, to eat. So and how'd I don't, you get out of it? I, um, first of all, I was admitted to a hospital because I was going away to school um, I lost all this weight in like a couple months. Like it went away quickly for me and it got scary fast. The school called my parents. My parents were in denial because they didn't want to believe that their daughter was like dying. Oh, great. So they were co- they were concerned. And, but like I was lying to them about, oh, I'm going out to eat. I'm sk- not going to be here for dinner tonight. Just lying, lying, lying. I went to the doctor to get a physical because I was going away to school in the fall. This was July. I went to go get a physical and my pulse, I have like a low pulse anyway. Like what I have is it? bradycardia. It's, I have, I think it's 37 to 42 resting. What is, you have an issue? What is it called? Brady it's what? called bradycardia. It's just like a low resting pulse rate. And I don't you know. you don't exercise? No, I exercise a lot. But even when I don't exercise a lot, I still just have a low. Do you do a lot of cardio? I do a lot of cardio now. Yeah. But that's I have, a really like this is like elite athlete resting heart rate. It's like Lance Armstrong. I'm really proud of it, but I do <laughs> nothing to support it. Like I, I run every day, but not like enough to boast that. But it saved my life because I didn't know I had a low pulse rate. But when I went in for this thing, the, the this physical, you know, the doctor clearly could see I was anorexic because they looked at me and weighed me, but they didn't have a, any kind of like s- data to keep me. Mm hmm. But until they took my pulse and they were like, if you leave, you're going to die and you're going to be a liability to us because we know. So you can't leave. You're going to you a 5150 or whatever it is where you're committed Whoa. to a psych ward. So I went in for a checkup, was taken on a golf court to the a golf cart to the other side of the hospital where I was checked into a psych ward. Whoa. And my mom's like, no, she's not. And they're like, yes, she is. And so I was admitted there and I, I had to stay there for a, a couple weeks, I think. And then I lied to get out of it because I ate just enough to get out. And then I went to school. I convinced my parents I, I was okay to go away to school, which I wasn't. 
nearly died there just starving myself and exercising too much and that but that that is how I got out of it was that so I wanted to die because I was hungry all the time being hungry sucks and I couldn't eat I didn't know how to eat I didn't even know how to begin to eat so I was like every night I would just pray that I wouldn't wake up because I would go to bed freezing cold because you have no fat so you're cold you have to wake up. I was going to school in Colorado. I was ill-prepared for the weather. And also, I had no fat on my body. It was, it was an awful existence. And then I did stand-up comedy for the first time because— As an anorexic? I, yeah, because when I went to school my freshman year, I was so crazy-looking. Like, <laughs> I was, I was like a—I was like the Nightmare Before Christmas Jack, Jack Skel- Skeleton. Yeah, that is what I looked like. I was—I look at pictures, and I'm like, how did you have friends, bitch? But I did because I— became really funny because I wanted people to go look over here. Don't look at me. So I just, right. I was a shy kid in high school when I was not anorexic, but then when I needed to make friends, cause I was, went to school alone. I was like, Oh, I'll just develop this really over the top personality. So people don't notice that I'm so thin. So that's when I became funny, really funny. You know, I was always like dormantly funny, but that's when I became like outwardly funny. People started telling me I should be a comedian my freshman year. I tried it. I did it one time. And then I was like, Oh, I have a reason to live now. Like, I have a purpose. And I that sounds so stupid, like, cliche to say, like, oh, it gave me, comedy gave me a reason to live. But it really did because I didn't know what the, I was like, if I'm going to, what am I going to become a teacher? I don't care. I'm not passionate about that. But this, I was like, okay. So then I was like, I got, I, I have to gain some weight if I'm going to now have a career. So then I started, I found a therapist. I was like, I got to beat this. I started reading books. I found a therapist and I found this one therapist who, told me the thing that really broke through, which was like, when you have anorexia, everyone's like, just eat something. Why don't you eat something? And you feel very in control of it. And you feel like you're the one to blame for it because you're the one that's choosing not to eat. And you're the one that's choosing to exercise. And and um, and so I felt all this shame about like, why can't I cure myself? Why am I giving myself this thing that's ruining my life? And then this therapist was like, think of it as like cancer. Like you got, you got sick. Like something invaded your life and there is a demon inside you telling you don't eat and it's not you it's not you so don't listen to that voice and then as soon as I was able to like disassociate my illness from like it's my choice it's my doing Mm. I'm not eating and I was like able to see it as like the exorcist like that little girl has like a demon inside her that's like don't eat bitch don't eat if you eat you're weak as soon as I was able to go shut up voice then I was able to eat again it was like one nugget of one way of perceiving my illness that was able for me to like crack it and then it took many years to like and I'm st- I still struggle with you know ha- control issues over food but I'll never be anorexic again but yeah it was that it was um it was a mixture of comedy and also therapy that they say that with it. alcoholics too that that's one of the reasons why alcoholics when they talk about it, they talk about it like it's a disease. And people who aren't alcoholics, who are judgmental, go, it's not a fucking disease. Cancer's a disease. Leukemia's a disease. You're just weak. But if they treat it like it's a disease, then you can cure it. But if you if you treat it like you're weak, then you just shit on yourself. Like, oh, I'm weak. I, can't, I just want another drink. Like, what is it about me? Why do I need this booze? And there's this weird cycle, this loop this that goes on in your brain. You know, like, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. Damn it, I drank. I'm never going to drink again. Fuck, I'm drinking again. And then these people that just get completely out of control, one of the ways that helps them is to treat it like it's a disease. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it was just a real, 
a way that I'd never, I had seen so many doctors, but until that one guy told me to think of it and like literally did the thing where he put a chair in the corner of the room and was like, talk to your disease. Tell it what it's oh. done to your life. And I had to like, and I go, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. Fuck you for everything. It, just, <laughs> it took me 30 seconds until I was sobbing, screaming at this empty chair. Oh. But it, I mean, it worked. Have you ever talked about this on stage? No, it's so weird because I, I'm still, I feel like I'm still too in it or I don't know. I don't know. I want to be able to someday. And when I am able to, it'll be like a real huge moment in my career in life. But even me being able to talk about it on podcasts like this or in platforms like this um, is new to me still. Mm, and I've really? done it before, but it's it, – I just feel like I still suffer with so many of these things that I'm like, oh, it's so weird to talk about it. Like I I like to have a little bit more distance, for the, even though it's been – I'm 34 now and I get had anorexia when I was 18. I'm still like – it's still too new. But sometimes mm. things – it's, well, 16 it, years seems like a long time. I know. But it goes by quick. Happens very quick. It, it's, yeah. I just like to have, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I'm just still, I think I'm still so angry about it. And still, there's still pieces of it that I'm like, how did I get this? And how did I have to save myself instead of someone else coming in and saving me? And why didn't? Someone intervened before? They can't, though, can they? I mean, now you know. It's kind of, it's very hard for someone to convince someone you need to stop drinking or you need to get your shit together or you need to do this or you need to do that. You need to hit your own bottom. I yeah. know. And But, you know, I feel like, yeah, you just, I, I, there's still just things about it that are really painful to me. And I think that it, when I am dealing with something like that, on stage, I think the pain still shows and I can't be funny with it yet because I'm still so angry. I think I'm still just like angry mm. about it because I also feel like I'm still a victim to um, body dysmorphia like crazy. Like that's my new thing where like I'll just see something in the mirror that I'm like, well, yesterday you felt the opposite. Like what I'll go from in a 24 hour time frame from being like, you're fat. I'll like look in the mirror and be like, you're fat. And then the next day I'll be like, you're too thin. And I'm like, well, those two things can't be possible within 24 hours of themselves. So you're crazy. Right. So that, I mean, I'm still dealing with stuff like that. And I want to be on the other side of it and be able to tell girls like, you're beautiful and your body doesn't matter. And it's what's up here mm. that counts. But I don't, I'm not, I'm not there yet. So I don't know how to, to, to really talk about it. Well, I don't think I don't think there's one way. You know, I think everybody's got their own weird thing that's causing them to have issues, whether it's a be to be an alcoholic or to be addicted to whatever you're addicted to. Yeah. There everybody it's, there's no one you you have to figure out the person and then figure out how this disease or whatever it is is sort of interface with that person. And what is it that happened to you that made this this thing attractive where it fits into your slots and, and, and distracts you from all the things that are freaking you the fuck out about your existence. Yeah. I mean, it is yeah. a I coping mean, mechanism. Yeah, it, it was so simple that like, oh, well, when people are anorexic, you tell them this and then they go, oh, okay. I mean, the, if there was like a protocol that you could just establish right away, oh, you just got to take these steps and then you'll be fixed. It doesn't work. And, it, and they might work for some people. You know what? It really doesn't help. You know, it doesn't help that 
it's so prevalent. Like, there's so many people that have issues. Like, and the other way too. Like, there's people that are bodybuilders that are crazy that can't they they the can't get big enough. It's the same thing. It is the same. Or girls thing. with giant fake boobs that yeah. they think they need triple F boobs. Like the the way people see themselves versus the way other people see them is very strange. <sighs> Yeah, you know what I've been watching? The show Botched. Have you ever watched that show? Oh yeah, I've watched Ooh, that show. Holy shit. I mean that's the same they don't yeah, they don't thing. they don't know what don't know they're seeing. On. They don't see what we're seeing at no, all. No, it's it's crazy. There's this poor lady who was on the other day who uh is getting uh she's getting her nose fixed because she had so many surgeries that her nose collapsed. And it was just like, Oh Christ. You know, and they, they had to take a chunk out of her rib. And they uh, rebuilt her nose up. It came out great at the end, so yeah. obviously, which is why they put it on television. But they, she ain't they fixed done. Her. Oh, you Unless you don't you. fix you inside. Don't you don't think she's done? I, I don't think she's, she's done. No uh, she's way suffered. is that bitch done. No <laughs> way is she done. Unless you're fixing what's up here that's making you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm ugly or what. Like, right. And that's what I'm in a mad dash to do, Joe. Is like, to fix yourself? Well, just no. To, yeah, to get to love myself enough... Through therapy, meditation, just to love myself on the inside enough that I don't... Because as I age, as you age, especially in this business, things aren't as good for... As you age as a woman, things get shittier. Like, you become less valuable to society based on the fact that you're aging. It's just in the this way, business. In this business and in life. Like, I remember mm. the first time... I remember one time I was hanging out in high school with my girlfriends. And I remember the, their mom, her, this girl's mom always used to just kind of say things that she envied our youth a lot. And and when you're young, you're just like, okay, old lady, what do you, say? you know, just get out of here. What are you, you're saying these sad things and then just walking out of the room silently. Like, but she would say these things. And one day, the one thing she said really got to me, she was like, you girls are all so young and thin and beautiful. You know, I remember, I remember the last time a man held the door for me. And then she just left the room. And I'm like, oh, there's a day that that just stops. Wow, that's ridiculous. I hold the of door for old ladies all the time. That's stupid. But I, I think she <laughs> meant the last time a man wanted who wanted her. to fuck her. Right. And you you know when that's in the air, when there's a door being held for you right. by a guy who's like, but well, why, I can fuck you. But why is that gender specific? I mean, that's that's with men no, as with women. Men too. I My dad recently said to me, he was like, women don't even look at me anymore. My dad's like an attractive guy. And he's like, I'm like invisible to women. And I could see like a sadness in it. And, and I don't want to... F- I know that that's that will ha- happen eventually because that is just the way things go. Once in a while, a guy might be, I'm into older ladies and I'd like to bang her. And I will love that guy so much. And I know those guys are out there. And I hear hear from those guys a lot when I talk about this stuff. But, but those guys are sick, just like you were when you were 18 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they never fix that sickness. Please they're in, share they're it with the world. We old need ladies it. Because the old ladies are so needy. Like, oh, my God. Thank you, son. <laughs> Whatever that is, don't fix that. We need those guys. But I, I just know that that's that's on the horizon. That attention from men and women and just society will start to wane, and you'll become more invisible physically Mm. to other people. And I just hope at that point I don't give a fuck, and then I like myself enough. And so that's what I'm. I'm like running at that, trying to like like myself enough on the inside, which I really have. gotten so far ahead of Mm -hmm. what I thought I could ever do in terms of loving myself and working on myself and getting sober and all the things but I still feel like it's not enough like I'm still I still deal with insecurities and I'm like god damn it 
I'm aging, and this is this. I'm supposed to not feel this. I'm supposed to not care that I'm aging as much. I don't want to be one of these women that's like hates aging. I just don't want to be it, and I'm I'm kind of. Well, you have to be very careful in your. How do you feel fear about aging? aging? I don't think about it. Really? No. I and don't. you can tell you don't because you seem ageless. <laughs> like honestly, someone just said your age, and I was like, I don't even think of Joe as having an age. I honestly don't like you seem like an ageless person to me and that's because you don't give a shit. Well, and you don't think of it. You, you this I mean this is going to sound ridiculous, but you have to took you have to realize that the the entire ex, your your life from birth to death is a blink of an eye. It is a very short period of time in terms of the entire the life of the planet, the life of the human race, the life of the universe, it is a blink of an eye. And for you to be with, wear blinders and concentrate on one tiny little window of sexual viability, it's preposterous. It's ridiculous. Because yeah. the whole your, your whole existence is insane. It's so bizarre. Looking at people is bizarre. Like, how the fuck do your eyes work? You're looking through your eyes, and light is refracted through your lenses and your cornea, and you're seeing things. And I know that if I reach, I can grab this can, and it's right there. I mean, all of that is bizarre. And so to, to concentrate on this one thing, when will people stop wanting to stick their dick into me? Like, Ugh, that's, it's a I crazy. I hate that I even, like. But it's a crazy, it's a, it's, it's a perspective issue. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the, the wider you get away from that, and one of the best ways to do that is psychedelic drugs. Psychedelic drugs are one of the very best ways to broaden your perspective because the experience is so titanically alien and so giant and connects you to the entire universe itself that when you come back down to Earth, it seems so preposterous. And then you see this dance that everybody's involved in, you know, with putting on fake butts and, and fucking getting your lips done and all the chaos that people are doing just to try to attract more sexual attention and knowing that this is so, so, such a short period of time. One of the things that freaks me out is what I call monster face. It's when women get their face <laughs> pulled back so far that their mouth looks like it's bigger. Because they've been doing this, and so it looks like they could just open their mouth up like venom and fucking get your whole head in there and chop your fucking head off. It's it's a it's a sickness. It's, it's so funny because yeah, when you get that stuff done, you end up looking like other people who have had it done. So yeah. you get a, a certain type of face. We all know the face you're describing, monster like a deep face. sea monster, a deep yeah. sea fish. Yeah, One and of then those... they shoot things into their cheeks to make their cheeks puff up because it eliminates some of the wrinkles. But then it looks like you've been beaten then up. You just... <laughs> You, you literally look like you got fucking stung with a swarm of bees. It's and how crazy. is that better? Well, it doesn't. It also doesn't work because there's a thing called the Fibonacci sequence, and when you look at a person's face, there's a golden ratio of the nose to the eyes to the chin. And as soon as you fuck with anything, as soon as you switch one of those up, like lips, you're like, hey, like if you look at say like Serena Williams, her lips match her face, mm -hmm. and there's like there's a natural order to that. If you look at Ari Shafir, his nose matches his chin, matches his face. There's a there's a ratio show that it fits in and when you get a nose job and you're supposed to have a big nose people look at you like what the fuck is going mm. what if you have like a persian face like a you know a big robust persian face but you have this little fucking pixie irish nose people are like what the fuck is going on with her face this is crazy but Joe, there are <laughs> so many people that have worked on that you like. We all know bad plastic surgery, but there's some that's so good, and we think of these people as being born that way. And oh, they for sure. Not, I mean, there's like good Kylie stuff. Jenner. 
Yes. Yes. That's a perfect one. I mean, girls always bring her up. What about her? What about her? She was a monster. <laughs> she was a monster. Now she's gorgeous. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's some stuff that works. But you're so right. Like, I want to talk to you about psychedelics because when did you first do them? When I was 30. When you were 30. And well, actually, I think I was a little younger. No. Yeah, yeah. When I was 30, I started smoking pot. And then uh, psychedelics came after that. And did you, I mean, obviously that that was before the time when people thought psychedelics were a way to like heal yourself. Like, I feel like this is kind of like a new movement that well, psychedelics is, are the answer. Now, now. If you were around the right people back sure. then, you would get that information. Yeah. Were you around the right people? Yeah, is that luckily, how you got introduced to them? Yeah, yeah. I was and, around a lot of, I because of the fact that I was a comedian and then also because of the fact that, um, you know, I was relatively famous back then, not not famous famous, but like I was I was on television. Yeah. I had done some things, so uh, people would want to like turn you on to things, you know, like you know. And I would go to parties or meet people, and they would you know say, "Hey man, have you ever done mushrooms?" You know, and "Hey man, have you ever heard of DMT?" And like, and then there's a few different things that would happen, and you would be around these people who had gone to jail for it, or you know that were like real psychedelic heads. And once I was around a few of those, I realized, like, well, there's a whole nother world out there. And then I discovered Timothy Leary and John Lilly and the, the flotation tank became a giant part of my life. And then, um, you know, Terrence McKenna and Dennis McKenna and all the, the, the various psychedelic wizards that are out there that have been sort of expressing that there's, there's a whole world out there that you're not seeing. It's like we're living life inside this very strange tent, this very thin membrane tent. And if you just unzip that tent and step out, the entire wilderness of the universe exists. But most people live their life inside this very thin walled tent. And they think that that tent sort of defines the actual universe itself when it's, it's so small and so limited. Is there a chance that you open that tent and you don't like what you see and now you've fucked your whole life up? Because I think that's most people's apprehension about sure. doing that. Like, For sp specifically. Can you not come back? Yes. Well, Sid Barrett. You know, there's been a lot of people that were, um, I mean, uh, I have friends that know friends that, well, the issue is with, you know, psychosis and people that have uh, schizophrenia, people that have like legitimate mental Ill mental health issues. And- it's, yeah. the, the argument is correlation or causation, right? And the argument is, does do psychedelic drugs cause mental illness? Or do a certain amount of people already have mental illness? And I think it's much more likely that the percentage of people that are schizophrenic remains static. Because if you, if you look at it, like this, the number of people who smoke marijuana who are also schizophrenic mirrors the number of people who are schizophrenic, period. So it's not that marijuana causes schizophrenia. It's that one out of a hundred or whatever the number is. They just have this issue. This this and for those people, it's critical that they avoid psychedelic drugs, that they avoid marijuana and and probably even alcohol or many even maybe a bunch of other psychotropic drugs as well because it could you've got an imbalance. Just like someone who has a liver disease has an imbalance. Just like someone who has a lung disorder can't breathe well. Someone has cystic fibrosis or someone who has any number of diseases. You got to kind of think of it that way. Yeah. There's an an ailment of the mind. And so if you add this unknown element to that ailment, like five grams of dried mushrooms, 
Like, whoa, who the fuck knows what could happen? You might never come back. And right. then there's the question, the other part of your question is, is it possible you could open that tent and not like what you see and fuck up your life? Yes. Yes, even if you don't have schizophrenia or a mental disorder, you might have a view of the world that's untenable with the experience that you have under the influence of psychedelics. But that might mean that your view of the world is bullshit, and you've been living your life with this fucking Norman Rockwell nonsense floating around your head because you've been so influenced by media, by songs and by television shows and by, you know, I want to live like the kids on Friends. They don't even live like that. <laughs> Look at them. They're all fucked up now, you yeah. know, for the most part. Jennifer Aniston seems to be not aging. Yeah, that's... That bitch is insane. That's my girl. I want to be around I mean, her. I want to find out I... what she's doing. What kind of cream are you using? <laughs> oh, it's not cream. It's lasers. Whatever the fuck she's doing, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. I know, She's dude. 150 years old. She looks like she's 12. <laughs> it's incredible. You would feel bad if you had sex with her like you're having sex with an 18-year-old. She looks amazing. She literally <laughs> she has She really age. does. Matthew Perry looks like he's been to hell and back. Like that motherfucker went head first into a, a sandstorm and he got his face ripped off. Like he's been just doing meth every day and smoking cigarettes, one lighting the other from the time he's awake until he t the time he goes to sleep. <laughs> oh my God. He looks like total dog shit. And she looks fucking amazing. I know. They were they worked together. <laughs> they were both young together. Could they not have shared some skin care? How the fuck? How the fuck? I mean, that is like a perfect example. <laughs> it is a perfect example. But even I she can't keep it together, right? She's on like some new marriage and that got divorced. And it's like a, there's this chaos to this business. And this I know. What you were talking about. Like, the, like, I've talked about this many times in the podcast that this business is nuts because it takes people that are insecure already <laughs> and then puts them in a position where they have to get chosen for things. So you have to audition and people have to decide whether they like you. Next, Nikki. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Nikki. So, uh, oh, what happened to your already. Comedy Central show? You had a Comedy Central show that uh, didn't work out. It just, you know, th it was an internal okay, thing. Okay. Okay. It wasn't okay. any. It was and a good show. And you were on Dancing with the Stars for a hot minute. Yeah. Again, that, that was just like uh, there were just. Um, but that guy was really mean to you. Mm, what was that all about? Well, I think he. I reminded Something, him of a granddaughter who hadn't called him in a British while. British judges that are such assholes. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Anyway, uh, you're right. So you're reading for Amy, and uh, Amy is an anorexic stand-up comedian who likes to drink and black out. So uh, right up your alley. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so and then you do it. and You go. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Nikki. Good job. Uh, okay. And so uh, you'll call me? Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. No, you'll kind of just watch the show that you're auditioning for and see someone else in the role, and that's how you'll know. And you scream. <laughs> so you leave, and then you walk out feeling like 100% dog shit. Like you're from yeah. the top of your head to the bottom of your toes is just dog shit. And... Like, we do this stuff, and you got people commenting on it and tweeting at you and saying mean th It's like, you're right. It's like, I'm in this business because I'm insecure, and I want people to love, strangers to love me. <laughs> and then I don't even accept the love that they give. I don't care about the tweets that are nice. <laughs> I reject those, and I think you're crazy. And then I think, and then I look. The assholes. Yeah. Which I don't read comments or anything. Like, I've been really good about like self-care of like that's not ever going to bring me joy is going through the comments of a YouTube video. But, um, but still smart. mean things get through. 
And yeah, you're right. Like I, I'm a really strong person to be where I am in this business and have gotten as far as I've got. Uh, but it breaks me at times still, and it's a I'm tough and scared. And I'm, but I'm so excited to do psychedelics. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm how excited? Like I, well, I want to do it with a shaman oh. if you're available. <laughs> but I want to, I want to do it in like a really controlled way because I do think it's the next frontier for me in terms of because mm-hmm. I'm done with therapy, talk therapy. I'm like I, this is too slow Have of a you ever process. Done any psychedelics? I did mushrooms once, but it was not a good experience because it was much? a bad s- setting. A very small amount. Mm. Not enough to like really have a, a good trip. Even though it was a small amount, it was still a bad experience? It was just bad because I was hanging out with two people, a couple that got into a fight while oh, I was with God. them, and they kicked me out onto the street in oh New York God. City. Oh, my God. While they were on mushrooms? They got well, in a fight on mushrooms? Yeah, it just got kind of tense hanging out with them. We were supposed to just, like, us three chill on their roof and, like, look at the skyline and just have a nice night. But then his girlfriend got sick. They were in a weird kind of bickering thing i was like i'm gonna go i left i had been arrested the night before for smoking weed on the street so i'd spent six hours in a holding cell the night before but i had planned to do mushrooms the day after and the guy was like you should still do them we'll celebrate you getting out of jail and i was like okay so i (laughs) did mushrooms i was broke i had just been arrested i um and i was on the street and i remember i called my parents because i was i just felt like the way that smoking weed is portrayed in movies where it's like whoa things coming at you like you know that's the way I felt on mushrooms like I don't know if that's the normal way but like I felt like everyone was just like in my face I called my mom and I go mom I'm on mushrooms right now I'm on the Upper East Side I'm just trying to get to my friend Mike's house and she goes who do you think you're talking to you don't call your mom and say you're on mushrooms. Like she was like, for once in her life, she had boundaries, and she goes, <laughs> she goes, talk to your father. And so then I, I talked to my dad. And I was like, I'm on mushrooms and I don't know. And he kind of talked me down, but I just went home and chugged a bottle of wine because I was like, I want to be, I want to feel something else other than this because I felt mm. too much, I felt a lot of love, and that scared me. But this was before I quit drinking. I felt a lot of love, and that scared you. Yeah, I was you like calling my love? friends, being like. I love you, like in in a way that I had never felt before, and I was like, I don't like this feeling. Why? Chug, chug, chug. I don't know. Why I, did you not? Well, maybe it's because you were alone. I think it was. I, I was going through a lot of things. That was like I was. I think I was bulimic at that time too. Like there was a. <laughs> Christ, li- woman. This was not a. Go- <laughs> this was not a good time in my life to be doing psychedelics. But now, I think I I've read enough about them, and I'm like. You know, there are soldiers that have PTSD that go through talk therapy for years and have mm-hmm. no have a minimal amounts of pr- uh, progress. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then they do one thing of DMT and they're like, I'm good. Yeah. Like there's something there. I can't wait for whatever that is. I want to do ayahuasca. I want to do DMT. I want to I want to open up those doors. MDMA hit- is great for soldiers, too. That's their maps is doing some really serious trials right now with um MDMA assisted therapy. So they're taking people with PTSD, whether it's soldiers, uh, victims of violence, and they're uh, taking them through uh, MDMA assisted therapy. And they're having some pretty dramatic results. I think it is like the next big. Th- I'm so excited about it for certain people and myself. Like I just have you done MDMA? Have you done ecstasy? No, no. I only did it once, and uh, the 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 rebound the next day was horrific for me. That was one of the worst uh, hangovers I've ever had. Like it wasn't just a hangover; it was a. I, I was. I felt really stupid. Like I couldn't read. 
Like I was trying to read a magazine the next day. I couldn't read. And then I had to perform that night and I kind of ate shit on stage. And, um, but I'll never forget the lessons from the experience. It was really powerful. Like, uh, it really illuminated how much insecurity, uh, hinders you and inhibits your ability to communicate with people and flavors how you interact with people and how much of, you know, my own aggression and the the way I would interact with people was basically just me being scared. Like what? what I want to know what Joe Rogan was before psychedelics. Like what are the things that you socially, the hurdles that you've overcome? Well, what were you like? What were the things that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was like that. I'm dying to know this. Well, you know, when I was young, I was super insecure. My parents split up when I was really young, and then we moved around a lot, so I didn't have, like, a base of friends. And then I found martial arts when I was a young teenager. And what martial arts did was um, it gave me something that I finally felt like I wasn't a loser at. It was, like, the first thing that I ever did where I was like, oh, I, I'm good at something. I can be really good at something. And I got good at it really quickly because yeah. I was obsessed. I was completely addicted, and I was training every day. And um, it became my identity. So my identity was that I was really good at martial arts. And so to, to be really good at martial arts, especially in competition, you have to be you have to be very aggressive. You have to be ruthless, and you have to be there's there's like you have to embrace um, this sort of the, there's there's an undeniable violence in kicking someone in the head. I mean, it's vi it's very violent. Like martial arts competition is extremely violent and you have to be able to embrace that. And the embracing of that and the terror and the fear of it all just, it shaped my, my developmental period. So like when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, that was my whole life. That was all I did until I started doing stand up comedy. So my entire form, formative period was based on violence. It was, oh. it was all, it was all, I mean, it was, it was martial controlled. arts. It was very controlled. It, well, I wasn't like a, a bad person who was like beating people up or anything like that. But my, it, I was ready to go all the time. Like it was all, it was always any, at around any corner, there might be something, the next person might say the wrong thing and you might realize you're going to have to fight them or whatever, whatever it was. And that took a long time to let go. That took a long time to like shake off. Were you easily angered? Would you get into fights? Easily? No, I didn't really get into, I was smart. Like I would avoid fights. But you were tense. You were anxious constantly. I, well, I, my, my personality developed through violence. Mm. I mean, really, developed through martial arts competition. Through, from the time I was 15 to the time I was 21, I traveled the entire country. Was, all I did was fight in tournaments. I fought all the time. I fought, like, I don't know how many times. Did I, you have girlfriends? Like, I mean, you were upset. You were, you were like an Olympic athlete. You were an elite, elite athlete at 15. Did you, what was your I social life like? I was an elite at 15, like? but by the time I was 17, I was, well, when I was 18, I won the state championship. Well, but to get to that point at 18, good. you were My practicing like an elite athlete. wasn't good. Yeah, I was going to say, it had to have just been. Yeah, it was, it was awkward and weird, you know? What were you like with girls and stuff? early on were you did you do okay yeah, where did you meet I did girls right i mean you know were... high school i had girlfriends in high school and and then there was a dry period after high school for sure and then uh 
once I started doing stand-up comedy, then then it, then it was easy. Then there was a wet period. Then it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like whoa. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's like that is nuts. But I, yeah, my my life was uh, all about competing and being yeah. in the gym, so there wasn't like a lot of time to meet people. No, you know, it was, it was all very strange. But there's just getting over that that hurt the hurdle of that bizarre childhood. Was there a moment though when you came out of a trip, or what? Was there like a a nugget that you took where you were like, "Oh, this is bullshit"? Was yeah. there a certain trip that you like looked to, and you're like, "I emerged a different person"? And every what single did... one of them, really, every single one of them highlighted unnecessary tension, highlighted, uh, you know, like. Uh, what was the last one? What did you learn in the last trip you had? The last one I had was basically, it was almost a re. A re- a reaffirmation more than anything it was it was like oh i remember this like i hadn't done it in about a year and a half to two years and then uh we all we did dmt three or four times we did like a a, a trip and then we went back in and we went back in again i can't remember it was three or four times but it was it it just made me realize like oh yeah okay this this is just the, the the world that you're living in is like a thin veneer over this gigantic impossible realm of souls and of love and expectation and and understanding and and information and that that's what the universe is made of and that you're sort of trapped in this very strange rudimentary tactile existence where you can pick things up and put them on scales and you can measure things with a ruler but the rest of the universe is not made of that stuff the rest of the universe is made out of ideas the rest of the universe is made out of thoughts and there's dimensions that you you can't travel to with your feet and with a car and with a plane like there's portals that you go through and these portals are chemical portals and your brain literally is wired for these. Not only that, your brain produces dimethyltryptamine, which is the most potent of all psychedelics. It's literally made by the human body and it's, it's everywhere. It's in all sorts of plants, thousands of plants. It's in every animal. It's like all these different creatures create it and they, they have it. I mean, in, in, you're, it's actually made by your third eye. They're pretty sure. You know, there's, um, there's a group out of New Mexico called the Cottonwood Research Foundation, and they're doing um, these tests on all sorts of tests to find out the source of DMT, and they've isolated it in the pineal gland of rats. And this is the first time they've ever shown it in a live rat that it exists in the pineal gland. The pineal gland is literally your third eye. Like that thing from Eastern mysticism, like this right here, this little eye yeah, right here. Yeah. And reptiles, it actually has a retina and a lens. It's, a, it's an eyeball. And this is, they, in the, the Egyptians would call it the seat of the soul. And this one spot in your head is producing the most potent psychedelic chemical known to man, as well as it's produced by your liver and your lungs. Like your body's a psychedelic chemical factory. And this one psychedelic chemical, they believe, and there's been some recent research, there was a recent paper that was uh, put out that showed that they think that during periods of extreme stress, like with periods if your body's convinced that you might be dying or that there's something happening, that you may be releasing this psychedelic chemical. So it might be the portal to the afterlife. 
like it might be the way that carries your consciousness through to the next dimension when your body passes. Whoa. So this thought, and it leaks when you're in distress because it yeah. feels like it's getting ready to Why? You're, you're, dump it. Yeah, your body's like, this might be it. This might be it. Whoa. Here we go. Let's. They think that's the source of near-death experiences when people have these phenomenal loving experiences where they cross over to the other side, then they come back. And they think that this and, you know, when the way the way people describe it, that's an, another issue with psychedelic drugs. It's impossible to describe. So yeah. when you describe it, it's so crude, like the words, the way I've described it is I say it's you, you enter into another dimension filled with complex geometric patterns that are made out of love and understanding. That, that's what it feels. <laughs> exactly. but, but, but still, that's a bunch of words. Yeah. It's like a nonsense thing to describe. But when you, you talk to these people that have had near-death experiences, they all feel relieved in some sort of a strange way. They all feel like, or a lot of them do, I should say, that when it, if it does happen, if it does happen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like there's a thing that happens and then you go to this other place where there's, there's no shoes, there's no tables, there's no electricity. It's like your aunt's house. But it's it's no made shoes. out of whatever the fuck the the world's made out of. It's made out of the, the whatever the the universe actually has below the wiring. Like you lift up the circuit board and you're like, whoa! You peer behind the green curtain. So at this point, for you, when you when you did it the last time, it was almost like a tune up of like, oh yeah, I yeah, remember I now. I've seen know. this before, yeah. and I needed to be reminded. But then, how does that? Sorry if I'm asking questions that you probably already answered, but like, how does the next week of your life after a trip of this, like, how do your, how does your decision making change? What That's it, up to you, right? That's yeah. up to you. That's up to everybody. With everyone, it's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's, uh, it was like a big deep breath and it's, it was like, oh, it's going to be okay. The last time I did like a real serious psychedelic trip, I've done a little bit of acid, a little bit of mushrooms. But the last time, a serious one was right before I filmed Triggered. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, um, it just, it just lets you know, like, um, you know, just, just do your best. Try to be nice. And this is nonsense. This whole <laughs> thing is nonsense. You know, don't concentrate on the fact that in 20 years, no one's going to want to fuck you or, you know, that your, your, your tits are going to fall off or just you're alive right now. You're, you are existing right now in the one of the craziest experiences that the world has ever known but being a human being in 2018 yeah. in the United States of America. I mean, this is a fucking bizarre pathway you're on. All of us, every single person listening to this, if you can listen to this podcast, you are in the rarest moment in human history. You are literally at the cusp, the very peak of this insane merging the, the same merging of technology of information of understanding of expression all the stuff that you abundance. see abundance all the stuff that we're seeing going on right now socially whether it's the me too movement or whether it is um uh, you know social justice warriors and and people who are woke and crying out racism for all these things all this bubbling up of our culture is all this recognition of this ability to communicate this this radical new ability to express your ideas that is being done by some people that are irresponsible, some people that are very responsible, but everyone gets a shot. And it's just like YouTube comments. It's fucking chaos. It's you know? so chaos. Our culture is 
YouTube comments. The, the world is YouTube comments. The, our interaction is these, this unique ability where anybody can express themselves. And some people have larger signals like you or like Ari Shafir or like, you know, fill, fill in the blank. Anybody who has a podcast, they have a larger signal. And, you know, you have a YouTube video that's a larger signal. You have a Comedy Central show that's a larger signal. But everyone has a signal. And everyone's fighting for relevance and everyone's fighting for attention and acceptance. And they're, they're fighting for... Their own significance. They just want to exist. And they're yelling out. And sometimes they're yelling out like a baby. And sometimes they're yelling out like a, a wise person on the mountain who has some new information. And it's all happening at the same time. And it's all just... And, and we're sorting it out. Like, in some things don't stick. Like this whole, if you're having sex and you're drinking, you're a rapist. Like, that didn't stick. <laughs> but some of them do stick. Some of them stick. Some of them, you can't say retard anymore. That one's sticking. Right? Like, and people are realizing there's certain things that you can do and certain things you can't do. Th certain things we accept, certain things we can't accept anymore. And we're figuring it out. And we're figuring it out in real time, in a, at a radical pace that's never existed before in human history. Where something that was acceptable just 10, 15 years ago is completely unacceptable now that's there's never been a time like that before never been a time in the entire world since people started talking there's never been a time where change is taking place at such a radical pace and you're a part of it and I'm a part of it and everyone is listening to this is a part of it we're all together in this and no one knows where the fuck it's going I love that you're you're saying that the reason all this is happening right now is because we are now we're just communicating at a more rapid pace. That's yes. all it boils down to. Yes. You're absolutely right. That's it's the a whole communication thing. revolution. Yeah, yeah. And if so, if someone says, you know, Whoa. you know, hey, you, you, what you said, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, because no one's gonna get it right. No one's gonna get it right all the time. Like no one, there's no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an oracle. I'm a fucking <laughs> human. I was born in New Jersey. Like just, no one's, no one's getting this right. But you are being held to that standard. We, we all are now. Well, you sure, say but, something. In but good, there's good to that too. Okay. The good is you realize like when you're responsible. Like if you make a mistake or you say something incorrect or you say something mean, you were just trying to be funny. It came out bad. The, the the blowback lets you know this is how people feel about that. And it's uh, disproportionate because your signal's disproportionate. Your ability to express yourself is disproportionate. Yes. So the blowback's going to be disproportionate as well. So it feels awful. But that's just a, a, an affirmation, just letting you know, okay, this is not what pe – and, and sometimes people are completely wrong about, like, you know, white girls can't wear hoop earrings. It's cultural appropriation. There's, a, there's bad signals out there. There's a lot of bad signals, you know, where you're racist if you wear a kimono. Right. There's a lot of, like, really dumb, bad signals. But there's also a, a lot of exchange, and, and it'll all work itself out. We just have to be really careful. We don't lynch a lot of people along the way. Like that, that we don't get convinced that our ideas are 100% the way things should be and that we listen to all these various ideas, whether it's ideas about trans people or gay people or women or men or anybody. You know, like it's, it's like it's super important now that people think before they act and that they think before they cast judgment that we, we have to communicate. Because th there's things are fucking flying at us like fish coming down a river and you're trying to catch them with your hands. And there's just too many of them. Do you, I mean, you're broadcasting every single day for hours. Do you say things sometimes that come back? I mean, I know you say things that come back to haunt you. You said this and that was wrong that you said that and this is why you're wrong. Do you 
Do you ever catch yourself and go, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that? Definitely. Oh. All the time. What do you do with that? Like, that's like my... You go, whoops. whoops. I made a mistake. Yeah. I, I misspoke. Right. But I'm not this... I was... Yeah. I'm the good not thing an is, oracle. if you keep talking, people go, oh, I get it. Nikki's just a person. That you know, says she's, dumb she's gonna, things sometimes. Yeah. Well, you don't mean to say dumb things, but you're... Like, being a human being is just a flawed exercise. Yeah. Like, we're f- super flawed, and we're working with... Language, which is like a really awkward way to express intent. <laughs> you know, it's awkward. There's, there's, you, you, sometimes the right. It is. Yeah, sometimes the right word's not there for you, and you use a lot of likes and ums. So it's like, um, like, uh, like, uh, and people are like, like what? And oh. People are listening. They're on the fucking stair climber, and they go, "You shut the fuck up. You talk too much. You complain too much." And you know, their signal, like they're mad that they don't have a signal, so they're fucking screaming at you for your flawed signal. You have a responsibility. You know, there's a there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There is, and it, yeah, I mean, I, and I have I have a radio show every day that I do, and I podcast, and I and even sitting here now, I'm like, oh, what am I gonna regret saying? And I've just gotten to a point where it's like, I will apologize if I say something stupid and wrong, and it offends someone, and I really feel bad about it. But like, I have to just lead from a place of like, I. At this point in my life, I know I'm a good person. I, I don't think I'm a secret psychopath, which I think a lot of us are always like, am I a bad person <laughs> like, deep down? Right, right. Do you ever have that feel? Did you used to have that feeling? Oh, I mean, yeah. Where you're like, I, people are going to figure out that I'm a fucking psychopath. You know what? I, I, used to, I used to really uh, I wish that I was like Tony Danza. Because Tony Danza was always smiling and he was always nice to people. I was like, I want to kill everybody. And Tony Danza was like, all so nice and smiling. I just want to fucking smash people. And Tony Danza just seems like such a nice guy. Like, God, I wish I was like Tony Danza. I used to think that when I was like 19 years old. I, I can t- I totally relate to that. I see people and I go, I, why can't I just be like her and just why can't be, I just be smiley, be and smiley and, and say funny, nice yeah. things that don't Always offend anyone, right but also everyone likes what you yeah. say and it still gets people jazzed up, but you're not offending anyone. Yeah. It doesn't feel good to offend people. And I, I say things all the time that do, and I'm not going to stop because I just, I can't. But you're offending people, but also making a large amount laugh. I know. See, the problem is the, the if you have 100 people in the room and 10 of them get offended, 90 of them are fucking slapping the table and laughing their ass off. That's You got to accept that. Yeah. That's just part of the game. That's part of the game you and I play. We play a strange game. We're in one of the weirdest businesses ever. We're in the business of talking shit. We're shit talkers. I love it. I love it. I love talking it's shit. Job. And I can't stop. Like, yeah. Do you get in? Do you get in trouble talking shit? Like, do, do, do you feel? Because I feel like sometimes when I talk shit about people, it's obviously I'm just I'm talking about myself and I'm I'm just projecting. Like, oh, she's you know, and right. when I'm really talking shit backstage where I don't think there anyone will ever tell this to anyone. <laughs> right. I, it's not a good. It, you're. It's supposed to be like not a good thing to do is talk shit. Like that's not well, healthy for you. It depends on what. But I love it. It's fun. It's a hobby. It's fun. You're making fun of things. Yes. But look, you're making fun of things and it makes sense. Like mm-hmm. you, if you're talking shit and it doesn't make any sense, then nobody wants to talk shit with you. But if if you go to Nikki and Nikki says some hilarious shit, that's oh you're so true. Ah, it's all right. That's fun. And when you both hate someone together and you get to send each other their snap screenshots of their Instagram yes. and be like, look how sad this bitch is. Yeah. When really I'm just seeing myself in her. Sometimes. Well, you're you're seeing of... oftentimes what you absolutely hope you never are. Yes. But that you fear that you are. Yes. And you think you might be. So it's 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 me hating a tiny piece of myself that I'm trying so hard to keep at bay. Of well, being you're hating... that transparent or sad or. Yeah. 
You're hating human behavior that's flawed. That's what you're hating. Yeah, because I don't want to be flawed, and I right. secretly feel I'm flawed because I am flawed. Because yeah. we all are. But it's part of it's. It's also ugh. a way to reinforce that you're never going to do that again by talking shit about people all, that are doing. Hold yourself things. accountable because yeah. then you can't talk shit if you do it. So it keeps you in check. That's yeah. a really good point. So there's, it's good to do. Yeah, there's some group text messages that oh, I'm a part of. <laughs> I know what you mean. Oh my god. Yeah. Where where you only talk about one person yes! in them. The, the, we only go to that mass text to talk yes. shit about that one yes. person. Oh, have you ever talked? Have you ever sent a text to someone that you were talking shit like shit about to the person? Ooh. No, but it ha- there are stories of people sending like this one girl the other day told me like in a makeup chair she was like oh I once sent someone a text about someone at work that we are currently working with that was like blah blah blah, blah is a fat piece of shit today. <gasps> Can't and believe she would wear that dress, them? like that specific. And she sent it sent to, it to the her, person. and she was working with her, and had oh to work with her the rest my of the day. God. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Ooh, just slipped up, sent it to the wrong person. I'm just telling you, Joe, be careful because we're all capable of. When you write that name, when yeah. you're writing a name in a text, it's so easy to just. That person is probably in your phone too. Yeah, to probably. send it to them. Yeah, it's totally possible. But yeah, I, I love talking shit. I think that is a thing comics have in common. And you know so what I accept? Also, we like making fun of things. Is that I'm getting shit talked about me. Because it has to happen. If I'm talking this much shit, people are talking shit about me, and I accept it, and it's fine. I don't want to ever know. I hate when people go, oh, you know what someone was talking about you? I go, why would you tell me that? Right. Be nice. If you overhear something, keep that in that thing. Well, unless that person's like a really good friend, and then you find out that they're backstabbing you. You yeah. want to know that. Yeah, yeah, you want yeah, you want Especially to know that. Especially if they're, they're saying things to a guy you're dating. Oh yeah. Oh, if Ooh. or that. Oh god. That's the dirtiest of dirty. When you find out for a guy, when you find out that a friend of yours is talking shit about you to a girl you're dating, you're like, whoa. Oh, and that happens a lot because guys. That yeah. I've had that happen to me with guys where it's like, watch out for this guy. I'm like, aren't you best friends? That's a dirty man. That's Gross. a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my friends, we have a very strict policy of what we call jihadding, which means like if you're around a girl that the guy likes, you blow him up to her. You say, oh, he's the best. Yes. Guy's awesome. I love that yes. guy. As long as he is. And if he's not, you shouldn't be friends with him anyway. But as long as he is, you let him know, like, you know, fill in the blank. Mike is just a fucking phenomenal guy. He's, he's such a good dude all the time. Like, uh, he loves you, too. Says great things about you. I'm already into this guy and, that and you're I, talking I about in a, this example. Friend, I'm like, who yeah. is this? I'm like, dude, when I was around, you know, whatever, Shelly, I was like, boom, blew you up. <laughs> That's what we call it. We <laughs> call it jihadding. <laughs> My friend Eddie Bravo came up with that term because I would do that. He goes, dude, you totally jihadded me for that girl. Yes. That's what we do. You just blow you up. Let everybody know. This guy's awesome. He's the best. Yep. I yeah. do that a lot. It feels for... good, too. It feels the opposite of if talking not, shit. If you're not lying, yeah. yeah. It, it makes as up for it. As long as you're not lying. Yeah. As long as you're not lying. Um, I, I love that. Yeah. yeah. But but it's hard. You know, the, the petty instinct is to talk shit. That's the petty instinct. And some people yeah. deserve it. And some people don't. You know, it's, there's different motivations, right? Like sometimes you're talking shit because you're really jealous of someone. You're jealous oh, of their, yeah. their effort, their work ethic, their, their success, the way they look. What, what, fill in the blank. You're, you're jealous of something about them. That's generally for yeah. me what it is at the root of it, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. I, I recently got busted talking shit about someone. And I told, and she, it got back to me from another friend. And 
I wrote the girl and I go, I'm just jealous of you. You're cool and you're who I want to be and I, I want to be friends with you and you didn't seem to want to be friends with me. So I decided I hated you and that you weren't to be trusted. And I told people that and it wasn't true. <laughs> it completely wasn't true. I was threatened by you and you're hot and I don't like that you exist in the same business as me. And it makes me jealous. And what did she say? And she said, I totally get that. And I at, at first she goes at first, she just thumbs down my apology, which I love. <laughs> and then I was like, we're going to be good. But I I love a good I love apologizing. I love like admitting when I've been jealous or petty and I will continue to do so. But good. if I'm caught like, good yeah, for you. I'm just I can be so I, I, it got back to me that I said about this girl that she shouldn't be trusted. And I go, I don't even know why I would say that about her. I have no evidence to back that up. Equals, I was just petty and jealous in that moment. Yeah. So I wrote her and was like, dude, I don't know what was going through my mind that week. But yeah, I did say that about you. Cause standard, it's a standard instinct. It's yes. A, it's a standard emotion. It's so common. Yeah. And, and, and as a woman in this business, like I just... I uh, support women so much, but I'm aware of every woman who is a who, who is doing the same thing I'm doing mm. in this. But like, I'm aware yeah. who are the up and comers and I take them under my wing and I build them up. But I'm like, I'm aware of like, there's a part of me that's like. What was that big, crazy, deep breath? That was me seeing a headline of them on Deadline. <laughs> that was me that seeing they're their doing name. Good? Yeah, just like I know that they have a new show. I know that it's good for all of us, but what like if they have a new show and it's in the slot that your show was in. You, oh, you, you know what it is? Bitch. I literally have to unfollow girls sometimes who I'm friends with, who are in, who are comedians, who are my peers and who I respect and think they're funny I have to unfollow them if I see that they're just like I'm working a lot right now and they're putting it out there that they're like really busy with work and I just got kicked off dancing with the stars <laughs> I have to unfollow them because Why? because I start to feel sad about myself and I would rather just remove that from my feed mm. than and then it's a really awkward follow when I know or they message me on one of those things and they see I'm not following them because it's like we all know we follow each other right. they know and sometimes I'll just tell them I unfollowed you because you you make me feel sad about my own career I'm yeah, but you gotta get over that. It's easier to just take them out of my feed. Yeah, but that's a weird one. You, I am you working to get over with it. That. I am. Yeah, you I should am. just 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 use it as like as inspiration. Use them as fuel to work harder. Yeah, yeah. I, I do, but I would also like to not see their tour date schedule. <laughs> that's so crazy. It's you gotta, crazy. You gotta let that one go. That's not a good one to accept. Mm, I don't think. You know what? I probably I'm probably gonna unfollow one of you, all all you guys with your with your workouts <laughs> and your calorie counts that you People post. People got mad because I, I, I posted them a couple shit. times. But I didn't even post the big one. I didn't. That's I triggering as fuck to people who used who are like, it you know hate their bodies and stuff. Yeah. It can be very triggering. So like but when I see girls that are like, I just ran a marathon, I'm like, unfollow. I can't <laughs> I can't have you in my life bragging about this shit. Listen, I go to the gym too and I don't tweet about it. I want to. God damn I want to. I just burned so many calories. But I don't tweet tweet about it because I don't want to trigger people and I don't want to be the I don't want to be what I am so jealous of. Mm. But I should brag about it. And I I also like that some people are like, look at what I just did at the gym. Fuck you. I'd work today. Yeah. And they're proud of themselves, but I can't. I can't. See, I get inspired. Okay. Like, you know who I go to, like, all the time for inspiration? Who? The Rock. Yeah. That motherfucker never stops. He never stops. 
I mean, I don't want to do what he's doing. I don't want to do these movies. I don't want to do what he's doing. But that, I fucking admire the shit out of that guy's work ethic. That guy will fly to Tokyo. It'll be 4 o'clock in the morning. He sets up an elliptical machine and starts going after it. That's what he does. And he, that doesn't make that doesn't put you in a place of like I'm I'm never I can't no. do that because you can, but the thing is Joe Rogan you can do that. Look at that. Look at all his food. And he gets to do that midnight. because he said, "Oh God." He landed in London midnight, ordered sushi like a motherfucker. <laughs> Go to his uh, his Instagram with all but the workout Joe, ones. That, this is you are the rock, Joe. You are the rock. You do you do these workouts all the time. Anyone yeah, could but see. But that's how you get that. You I know. Get that, I know. Get to this work. Is how, Look at that shirt. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, Rock. <laughs> That's you, tell you him, Dwayne. Joe. That's you tell you. him. <laughs> Get after it. I got a text today from uh, David Goggins, and I told David Goggins I'm trying to beat everyone by double. He's like, "Fuck yeah, kill it!" Like a hundred <laughs> capital, a hundred exclamation points. That's what I'm saying. Look at that dude, focused. I see that. I want to go work out right now. Are you insecure about anything right now in your life? Well, people are always insecure. You're a yeah, human being. Yeah, I want to know. I mean, it's not something that's like, well, I'm always insecure about my act. I'm always working on it. Okay. You know, I'm always like trying to pick it apart and look at it like uh, like someone who hates it. Yeah. I'm always trying to like, hmm, where's the flaws? You know, I'm always trying to. Like, I heard you talking about that the other day of like, now that you've done your special and it's out and like watching it now, you come up with new tags and you're oh, like, oh, always. God. Always. Always. But that's so because you're always growing and yeah. learning and getting better. And, and I think comedy is like a living thing. It's like it's alive. You keep watering and it keeps growing, you know, and sometimes you have to trim things to make it better. Just like a bush, you know, you, you trim a little here, trim a little there, it gets fuller, you know, there's uh, but then also it grows and gets bigger, you know, but then you got to release it at a certain point in time. My, my, my schedule seems to be two years. It seems to be I develop a full solid hour in a year, and then I hammer that motherfucker like a samurai sword for the next eight months, and then I film it, and then four months later it airs, and then I start from scratch. Is that Kardashian bit in the new special? That's in the last one. That's in the last one? That's in Triggered. That one yeah. was so... I've seen you... <laughs> that... Your stuff is... But that, how do you write? Like, do you... Do you literally write, write, or... I write, write. Yeah. I'll show you how I write. I use, um... <clears throat> One of the things that I use, that I've been using over the last couple of years, I always write like in Microsoft Word and shit like that, but I use this program called Scrivener that I really like. And the reason why I really like it, especially when I'm doing new stuff, is the way it's set up. Like if you, uh, what is this? Oh, wait. I know the bit that is in the new one that I Which one? love that you've just done, the women inventing things. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. That bit, I saw that grow. That was a devastating bit. Because Thank the you. first time it, I saw it, it was like already like one of those bits where you, as a comedian, you watch and you just go, I what am I doing? One of those, you know, we've all, we've all been in the back of the room going, what am I doing if that's what's happening? And then I, that was like early stages of that bit. And then it became something so much more. I haven't seen your special yet. I'm excited to see where it landed. But that was an that's an incredible bit. Thank you. Thank but you. where does that start for you? Here. So this is with this in Scrivener. If you see here, like all on this, this is all my new stuff. So these are all the categories, and I click on each category, and when I go to each category, I have all the material that I've written out about each <laughs> all category. All I just saw in caps was, it's not cool to kick robots. <laughs> that's already you know what such that's a about? funny line. Do you know what that's about? PETA. 
PETA released a statement because Boston no. Dynamics has created these robots that are self-balancing. So they have like a gyroscope in them. So these scientists were kicking these the robots, these four-legged robots. And PETA released a statement saying that it's not cool to kick robots. No, they did And I'm didn't. like, yes, this, this they did. I'm like, you fucking weak pussies. This is going to be problem number one when the robots take over. Do this. These, these no fucking people are going to open up the door. Like, you know, robots are alive and they're they're sentient and you can't kick them you know they're gonna eat your family fuck and the, the same point in time you know they're coming up with these you know more and more advanced artificial intelligence so this is how i write okay so these this is essentially stage two so stage one is you know i do everything in microsoft word so this is in microsoft word all of these are and it's just yeah. like you just loose thoughts. You're not yeah, really editing exactly. as you go. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So like this, which one is this? This one is. Um, this is a lot. Yeah, right. You got to write. This is how I think. Yeah, I yeah. think. I think you got to do two things. You got to ad lib. You got to mm -hmm. do it on stage. You got to work things out on stage. But I think you're foolish to not write as well because I think there's so much to be gained by sitting in front of a computer working on your act. That's one step. Another step is you have to review your act. You have to listen to it or watch it, preferably watch it. I like know. I learned a lot watching the editing when I was editing the special and I, I had a snip. I decided I wanted it to be an hour and my set was like an hour and 17 minutes. So I said, let me just cut, just, I just want it to just fucking boom, just one hour, boom and done. So I, I cut a couple of bits out, but when I did that, I was like watching the video. I was like, you know what? I should really videotape everything. I should watch video because it's so much more immersive than just audio. You know, you, you only get so much out of audio. I kind of know my expressions and all the different things that I'm doing. But when I see them, I go, oh, it's better if I move like this or it's better if I pause there. It's better if I raise my eyebrows. It's better if I look concerned. Like those, those You don't those realize things. how much of yeah. comedy is... The physical thing until yeah. you do watch it. You're so right. And and you're right about writing it down. Anytime I've had to do a transcript, because I don't write anything down longhand, but when I've had to do a transcript for a Tonight Show or like just for Laughs Festival and see it, then you start writing new tags and you're like, mm -hmm. all this took was for me to Discipline. write it out. But then what do you do for Microsoft Word? Then you take it to... Then I take it to that Scrivener. And, and then, then what I do you do it, there? I put it. I take the the stuff from Microsoft Word, and then I trim it down. And when I trim it down, I put it in Scrivener. And when I trim it down and put it in Scrivener, what I'm essentially doing is saying, "Okay, this is ready. This is ready to play." And then what does Scrivener do? Oh shit! I left my fucking notebook in a hotel room. God damn it! Oh damn! Someone's gonna freak out. <clears throat> so. Then from there, I write things out on an actual notebook. And the actual notebook is basically just to get my set list in order and to m make sure I highlight all the different tags. So there's three stages. Okay. There's the Microsoft Word stage, which is basically just free form, free association, writing things down. No, There's no structure to it. Sometimes it comes out like a bit. Sometimes it's just nonsense that never goes anywhere. That you needed to get out anyway so you could get to other stuff. Yeah. You, well, it's like just, purging. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know if you need it, but it's like there's a road that you get onto. And as you're on that road, all of a sudden you're like, oh, look, I found a bag of gold. Yeah. And, and you don't find that bag of gold if you stay home. 
You got to walk. You got to get out there. And that's that's what the writing does. What the writing does, it allows you to pick up these little bags of gold along the way. And then I take these little bags of gold and I pile them up and then I throw them into the fortress. And the fortress is like Scrivener. So then I can move those bits around. And what does so, Scrivener do? Like, what is it? Why is that different than Microsoft Word? Well, the reason why it's different is because it's set up in columns, right? Mm -hmm. So you see how, uh, and it also has cork boards. See, Jamie's got it up on the big screen. So in the oh. cork boards, see how it's set up right here? Like, each one of these things, if you go to the, the, the left side here, each one of these categories, I can move and I can, I can change. I can have that bit in the beginning. Oh, this, this is bit awesome. At the end. And then once I'm in the bit, I can also go to this and that sets me up with a cork board. So I can have like, I could set up little uh, note, like little uh, set lists. Well, like that, like up there. Little oh, notepad yeah. things, so I could write down these on these index cards. Like, don't forget this, or this is important here, or this tagline is huge. Try switching this around, and it's just this constant. But do you? But are you already like this? Are you already this kind of an organized person? Have you always been this no, way, or did you get? No, this is, you have oh, to, really? No, this is a discipline thing. This I want to get like that. If if you can teach yourself to be like that, because I just feel like some people are made that way. This is not me. No, no, okay. I'm not like this at all. This is. But just, I look at your backpack you just brought out, and every pocket has a thing and a pen as a place. Because I just cleaned it up. No, you're like that. Joe. No, no, no. If you caught that three days ago, really? those fucking wires are What's coming out. What's your car like? Chaos. Really? Empty you got a messy cans. car? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes me and so many people listening feel so good right now. <laughs> I clean it up a lot, but a lot of times... What's your house like? I mean, I know you probably have uh, people come in and clean, but like, if you're in a hotel room over the weekend and don't have a maid service, what are we looking at? Chaos. Everything's spread out all over your the place. Your suitcase Socks. isn't like No, I throw that bitch. I throw it. I love Hits the ground. This. Yeah. So, but but I'm in a, when I'm in a room, like a hotel room... Um, it's basically like battle camp. I'm ready to roll. You know, I'm, <laughs> yes. I don't care what it looks like. You know, I'm here. Like, I'm, I want a clear path to the shower. You know, I, I have a desk. As soon as I get into the hotel room, I set the computer down the desk. I plug it in, get connected to the Wi-Fi, and then I, you know, it depends on how long I'm there for, what I'm, what I'm going to do. And then, you know, I get to work. You know, if I'm there, I'm there to work. So yeah. that's... You know, I set everything up. You don't spend time folding shirts and socks and, shit. and put different things in compartments. You're not. I don't fold shit. I also buy these shirts. Uh, there's a, a company that I work with called Mizzen and Main, and they make these shirts that are like super flexy. I don't know if you ever seen me wear <clears throat> wear these shirts on stage. I wore it on my last special. Yeah, and I, know I wore exactly it on this special. About. They're like pajamas. There, you pull on them, and they have a flex to them, so they don't feel like anything, and they never get wrinkly. Oh, so that's I could good. roll that bitch up in a ball, and throw it into that suitcase, and then pull it out and wear it, and you would never know. Efficient, yeah. Uh, but it's just they're the best to wear. Because when you're on stage, they don't feel like anything. They feel like you're wearing nothing. What is this again? Mizzen and Maine is the name of the company. Mizzen and Maine. Do they make women's stuff? That's a good question. I do not know. Find out. <clears throat> so I wear them and I wear these jeans that have like flex to them. So the jeans are like pajamas too. Like the jeans, they're literally like sweatpants. Like you pull them, they snap. So they don't get wrinkly either. And what's your like... Like your reg like your your skincare regimen. Do you spend a lot of time on that <laughs> stuff? Like when, before you go to bed, are you washing your face? Are you applying oils and creams? No. Like are I mean, you? I wash my face. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't <clears> spend <throat> a lot of time. You don't waste a lot of time doing stuff that doesn't. You're very utilitarian, but like not. 
I'm not I'm getting just, Botox, if that's what you mean. I'm a no, man. No, no, no. I don't think, I definitely don't think, you like look like your best self. Like I'm saying, like you literally seem ageless to me. I don't understand you. Like, <laughs> but I, it is interesting to me because I would have thought you were very meticulous with like organization and wasted a lot of time organizing things. And I like no. that you don't. Uh, no, 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 no. It's K. I think you have to have both. There has to be, look, if you're a comic, right? If you're good, especially, I think there's a certain amount of you that has to be impulsive. It has to be reckless and impulsive, and you have to be like one move away from ruining your life all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to keep it under control. It's like you have a wolf, and you have it behind like this flimsy chain link fence that you just like, oh, I'm going to wire this fucking shut, and I'm going to go to work, and I hope the wolf doesn't get out. That's literally what it's got to be like. But then you also have to have discipline. And I think those two counterbalance each other. And one of the things that's helped my act tremendously over the last few years, I think... My my, I think Triggered was my best special ever, and I think this one is better than that. I think Strange Times is better than Triggered. And one of the things that over the last three or four years that I've really concentrated on is this process. The process of organizing and being very meticulous about like how I, I structure my material. And then doing a lot of sets, too. You got to do that and then fuck around and go on stage drunk. I like to go on stage high. I like to fuck around because those are workout sets. And in, in those moments of chaos, sometimes a thing will come out that wasn't there before. Yeah. It just pops yeah. out of nowhere. And that motherfucker might be my, that might be my Bruce Jenner bit. Mm -hmm. That might be my closing bit. And the, those bits are, they're rare. They're strange. They're, they're ethereal. They come out of the sky. You don't know where they're from. And you have to nurture that. And that comes from chaos. And that come that this that's not that's not a necessarily a discipline thing. So yeah. the, that the creativity and the madness has to sort of they have to share space with the discipline. They have to they have to go back and forth with each other. So we've always thought like like people have always thought of comedians as being like sad people or drunks or messy people or not disciplined, don't have their shit together. But why? I don't think that's the case. Like, I'm always going to be fucked up, right? Okay, so how about I be fucked up, but I also keep it together, you know? So I always have these thoughts, you know? Like, I still have crazy thoughts. Like what? Like, what's your, what are you, why are you fucked up? Like, what are you, what's your fucked up thoughts? Well, I probably definitely have brain damage. Yeah. I probably definitely have, like, some sort of head trauma induced damage. I don't know what's going on. But what has that manifest want... itself? I don't know. I do mean, you, have, like, do you get anxious? In... Sure, sometimes, yeah. You yeah, have moments definitely. where you're like, ah! Not totally like that. But also, I work out so much that I drain all that shit out of my system. And you meditate, right? Yes. yes. And I, I spend a lot of time doing float tank, too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I have a float tank right here. That helps a lot. Um, but I think that if I did slow down, and you know, people are like, oh, you fucking work out so much because you're afraid you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what are you say, saying? Something I don't I already literally, know. Literally, when I'm running, I'm like, "You're running." Right. I'm Forrest Gumping right now. I could, when right. I'm going through the worst times in my life, I could just run forever. And that's what when you see old men running, and you're like, "What are you? Why? Where are you running from? You're running from something." Every when you work out that much, you're running from something, and I'll admit to it. It's a it's a great coping. It's better than drinking yeah. for me. Well, it, it but it works. That's the thing. It like, does. Yeah, like if you are crazy and you do like if you're a comedian, guess what? You're fucking crazy if you're a good one. I never met a good one that's not crazy. I mean, everybody's got their own crazy. Like Howie Mandel's crazy is he can't touch people. You know, he's got to put p paper towels on the ground every time he walks. Like when he goes to a hotel room, you know what he does? He lays out paper towels, a pathway to his bathroom, to the bed. 
Like, and he won't touch people's hands. He's, he's a severe germaphobe. Super nice guy. Yeah. One of the nicest guys you'll ever met, meet. That's his crazy. His crazy is different than your crazy. Your crazy is different than my crazy. My crazy is different than Crystal Leah's crazy. Everybody's crazy. I know. We're all crazy. They're, everyone's so crazy. You have to be to be good. You have to be. You have to embrace that. Yeah. There's no way else you're coming up with the kind of fucked up shit that you and I say on stage that you say in front of a bunch of people. And then you hit it with a tagline and you take it to another place. Like, there's no way you're normal. There's no way. It's no. not It's not possible. We, but are we... <sighs> Are we more crazy than the average person? No. That's the thing. We're just more everyone's, aware of it. Everyone's fucking crazy. I bet less crazy than the average person because we're free to express ourselves. Mm. The average person has to live this fucking bizarre contained life where you show up at the same place every day, do something you don't want to do every day with a bunch of people you probably don't even like. And you're all backstabby and weird with each other and you're just doing it for a paycheck. You know, and you're, you're, you're spending the majority of your time here on this heavenly body hurling through infinity, doing something you don't want to do. don't like. Yeah, that's more crazy. What you and I are doing, at least we're doing something we love. Yeah. And then that feeling that you get. I mean, I've seen you crush, right? You go on stage in the main room and you fucking crush and you say, thank you, good night. And everybody goes, Wah! like th that is that feeling of making all those people happy. Of they they went out, they got babysitters, they got together, they dressed up, they went to dinner, they got to the comedy store, they they ordered drinks, they sat down there, and you fulfilled their expectations. You gave them what they wanted to see, and I've seen you do it. And that feeling that you get when that happens, it's indescribable. Yeah, you, it's you, a drug. You, well, you, for you, sure. You made three hundred people happy. You made them all laugh. I mean, there's, there's nothing like it on earth for us. Mm -mm. I mean, don't you see people that never get to kill and you go, oh, you poor bitch. <laughs> never get to kill. You just go through your life as a doctor. You never get to kill. <laughs> you never what? kill. How do you? Yeah. I How do you mean, go through life Honestly, I wanted to die. I was like on a path to like, I'll probably just kill myself someday if I don't find a purpose. And then killing gave me a purpose. Yeah. Kill, like, killing on stage. Killing on stage was like, okay, now I have a reason to yeah. live. That's like fucked up. It's fucked up. It's so fucked up. But it keeps me going, and I and I get get to continue to do it. It's fucked up. And sometimes but, it's a struggle to do, and that don't makes you it more like, exciting. But don't you like the art of comedy? Like, didn't you like it before you ever did it? Hell yes. Right. It's the greatest. It's such a get. Yeah, I mean... But it just never seemed like an option to me. Like, I didn't even, like, look at stand-ups like, oh, that's something I could ever do. And I don't then, think anybody does until you do it. There's some people that are like, I love, what I grew up, all I did was I memorized comedy and I performed it for my class and I huh. memorized people's stand-up. It was never even something I paid attention to well, until people were like, you should do it. And then I, I was paid like, attention to it. And I, could I do liked routines. SNL and Conan I, yeah. and everything, but stand-up I was, I was never really aware of. Hmm. What, what, what were you, what was your exposure to it early on? Well, when I was about, I think I was 13 or 14, my parents took me to see Live on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. It was uh, in the movie theater, and it was Richard Pryor, and it was the, li absolutely the first time I'd ever seen anything like oh, that. Oh, so you had cool parents. Oh, yeah. Hippies. Yeah. And that moment when I was in that audience watching that and, and dying laughing and uh, looking around, I remember, I really, really distinctly remember looking, not just looking at the screen, but looking at all the people that were just like slapping the chair and moving around and holding their chest. 
and thinking, how insane is it that this guy can do this, that this guy can just talk and just through talking, he's, he's making me laugh way harder than any movie I'd ever seen in my life. And I think it came around. I think that movie came out. I think Live at the Sunset Show came out around the same time as Stripes, which is like one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite comedies. But I remember thinking, why isn't Stripes as funny as that guy talking? How insane is this thing that this guy can do where he he's just talking stripes? I'm watching all this stuff play out. And there's <laughs> tanks and, yeah. you know, and but he's funnier than that. And I remember thinking he's funnier than any movie that I've ever seen, even a Richard Pryor movie. A Richard Pryor movie, like, oh, whoa, yeah. they're never as funny as him talking. Like, him talking is way it's funnier. It's the funniest thing. It's the funniest thing. A comic killing. Like, I remember my friend Steve Sharippa, he said something about, uh, w- w- he uh, went to see uh, something about Mary. Yeah. And this was his, and Steve Sharippa's this fucking old school Italian guy. He's hilarious. He was on The Sopranos. Yeah. He, uh, he said, he goes, it was as good as someone killing that's what he said. He was as good as a comic killing. That's how funny that movie is. I was like, wow. What a crazy statement. It's as good as a comic killing. Like, it's universally accepted that if you go to see, you know, fill in the blank, Dave Chappelle, whoever it is, it's killing. Bill Burr. When they're on stage smashing, that that's probably the funniest thing you could ever experience. So the art form itself is, to me, like, it's the craziest it's Most the craziest dynamic thing. art form. Yeah. It's that we stand up there with a microphone and talk into it, and that's all we have. Yeah, I, th- there are times where I'm on stage. And I'm like, what? How do you? How are you right. doing this? Yeah. And you you have that moment that other people say to you all the time is like, how do you just? You know, musicians say it. They're like, I have a guitar and I get to sing and I re- rely on all these things. You just have to talk. And yeah. there's no other option for us. Like it's like that's all we've ever done. But it is a wild thing that we do. It is, but, you know, musicians have their own wildness. I mean, could you imagine? Oh, God, no. Yeah. I'd be, no, because I have no skill. I don't have it either, but I admire the shit out of it. Oh, One of the reasons I why I admire it, it is because I don't have it. Yes. Like, I watch, like, I have friends that are musicians. I go to see them live, and it's, it's so fulfilling to me because I have no talent. So, like, when I, I, when I watch them do it, I was like, this is amazing that they can do this. I can't do that. That's incredible. Like why, when I go to see Cirque du Soleil, I get the same feeling. Like, wow. Yes. Doing Dancing with the Stars. I'm just like watching these dancers. Like, how did you just do like that? Yeah. That took me months to learn. And you just taught it to this girl in three minutes for her to fill in for me to do the camera block. Like, it was just like, I couldn't. Be- yet you. That is the thing of the wonder of like, I just can't. I, I don't even know what that's like to do. But I, of course, do you play any instrument? Do you no. have any musical ability? None. Zero. Seems like you would. Nope. I know. Doesn't it suck? Like, I nope. want to. You, do, you no, don't want it's it? it's good. I don't want to learn anything. I, I do too much shit already. Yeah, you I don't really want do. to. <laughs> you don't need it. I can't. I'm trying to manage my time. I'm just. Uh, yeah, I'm, I have to manage my obsessions. But I think that what you're seeing, whether it's in music or in, you know, going to see a, a great comic or anything. What you're seeing is these like these portals for expression, and the more they concentrate on that portal for expression, whether it's dancing, or whether it's musicians, or even someone making a film, there's, the, the more they concentrate on those portals of expression, the better the message, and the better the impact it's going to be for the people that are enjoying it, the people that watch it. And I think Paul Mooney told me that a long time ago when I was a young comic coming up and he was like the old sage at the comedy store. He goes, if you really want to get good at comedy, you want to go up and kill? He goes, you should go get entertained. Go get entertained. 
I go, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what I do? I go, I go to see some music. I go to see a movie. I get entertained. I get entertained and I want to entertain. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like you go see someone kick ass, right? When you know you go see someone sing and it's fucking amazing and you're like, God, that, 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 that portal for expression, like they've honed whatever message that's going to go through that portal and it re reaches you. You know, it's the result of hundreds, if not thousands of hours of twisting and turning and hammering and sculpting and massaging and sanding. And, and then you get to see it in this finished form. You're like, ah. It's inspiring. Fuck yeah. Do you and go see a lot of music and movies? I see as and much as I can, yeah. I, th I do it on purpose. Like, I try to be entertained on purpose. Uh, you saying that to me just now, it's like, that. I need to work harder at doing like it sounds stupid but i need to go enjoy myself and be entertained more you're absolutely yeah. right because every time i do i walk away from it uh, and i go and be a better comedian yeah i think well mooney like i said he told me that in the 90s That's and sage. he's such a wise man and when he when he told me that i remember thinking like god that fucking totally completely makes sense and i think um we don't do enough of that and also i think if you just do only comedy and you're around comedy all the time you can get too wrapped up in it you get too in your own head and you, you it takes away a little bit of your ability to be free yeah i i, I don't I don't seek out comedy. I see enough of it. But movies, and I went to a musical last week. I forced myself to go just watch people be great at that. And it was, I left feeling good. It's good to do. It's yeah. hard to do, though. Hard. Like To yeah. watch a movie, I feel accomplished at the end of it. Like I read a book. Yeah. That's how. That's where I've gotten to well, now. It depends on it, if it's a good movie. You know, if you yeah. see something that's like, like Ex Machina, it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. But I remember seeing that movie and getting out of there going, God damn it, I want to make something like that. Yeah. Like something that when I leave, I go, fuck, that was good. God damn, they nailed it. Yeah. You know, like when, when something comes together like that, I think it gives you just a little bit, bit of juice. Music definitely does that to me. Yes. Like a good, like I, I'll play, like if I, there's a song that really cracks with me, I'll play that motherfucker on repeat in the background while I write. I'll just, I'll just, that one song just over and over again. And, I'll, and the song sort of like fades into the background and, and just gives you energy. Yeah. You know, it's that once you hear it like two or three times, like the words don't mean anything anymore. And then it just becomes like this fucking, this, this like power supply. Have you done the co goddamn comedy jam? And no. like, no, no interest. I don't interest much. Yeah, Bill was trying to get me to sing the other day. He's like, you should do it. Because I was, t oh, him and so Dean fun. Del Rey, they, what they do is they go to uh, a venue. Like, he played the forum last week. Yeah. So they get there at 2 o'clock, set up the drums and the, the guitar and the amps, and then they play to no audience. They jammed all day. He played from 2 to 6.30. That is so <laughs> fun. Yeah, they're playing. They're having oh. fun. And then you go on later that night, and, you know, you've, you're just free. Yeah, I rented a karaoke room for my birthday, and I just sang Taylor Swift songs the whole time and had my friends <laughs> held captive. They didn't even—they got to sing one or two songs, but we only had it for an hour because I had to go do sets that night. And I just sang—I just performed Taylor Swift to them because I want to be Taylor Swift. And it was so fun. And I was like, I should do this more often by myself just to sing to a track and pretend I'm a pop star for an hour. Just have fun. That's so—that is such—that's so cool that they did that. Yeah. I think just having fun is important. Just doing things that are fun, you know? Yeah. You get, like, you, I think you could definitely get too distracted when you're not concentrating on what you should be doing, but I also think you could get too focused 
where you lose track of what it is. Like, what is this? What do I what do for I? fun anymore? Yeah, right. I've had to ask myself that, and I'm currently asking myself that. And like, what? Do you have I a hobby? No, I mean running, but does that count? Something. I, I, I it's love it something. every day. It's yeah, something. Yeah, then, then it's then it's a hobby. Sure. Um. Why wouldn't it count? Because it's, it's like you, because it's a thing that people are like, oh, I got to, like, it's a chore kind of working that's out as some them. people look as a chore. Yeah, that's it isn't anymore to me. Yeah. Um, meditation might be a hobby, but that's more of a practice that I like. It's like brushing my teeth. So I wouldn't say brushing my teeth is a hobby. Um, no. And I need more. But you've always had hobbies. Has You've always, like, martial arts. Did yeah. that turn into a hobby for you as soon as you started doing comedy? Or did you have to like kind of get back into it? Um, no, it's never stopped. It's always been a. It's just, it's just. It's almost like a big part of my philosophy, like who I am. Yeah. It's never stopped, because you know I started working for the UFC in 1997. That's when I started doing post-fight interviews, and I was still very involved in martial arts then. That's when I was just starting to learn jujitsu. Uh, so I was in, involved in a new martial art for me, and then um, I've never stopped. I've always done something. And I've never stopped paying attention to it or studying it or learning new moves or paying attention to the new trends or, you know, watching fights or, you know, especially things that I, I don't necessarily practice as much. I'm interested in that, like watching different things that people do. What's the last hobby you picked up? Bow hunting. Mm. And you're like, you Obsessed. love it. Yeah. Really? What's a, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's going to sound ridiculous, but it's... Uh, it's a spiritual way to achieve your food, to get meat. You know, it's like, and, and spiritual sounds ridiculous to people. Like, oh, you're shooting an arrow at an animal. You have to be so finely tuned with your senses and your skills and your abilities. And there's so much consequence on the line if you fuck up. And then the pressure is so immense that to me it's almost cleansing in its intensity and that uh, I think doing difficult things makes doing other difficult things uh, better. Not easier, but you get better at it. You, get, you, you understand. I think if you put yourself in a situation, this happens to certain comedians. Um, they get really good. They get really famous. And then they only perform for their crowd and they get soft. Yes. And I think we've all, all the seen time. them. We've all seen them. They start to suck. They start to, they're, they're comedian, they're, their comedy gets soft and they become like uh, almost like someone doing an impression of them. Mm -hmm. They lose their edge. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways to keep your edge is to always be scared. So always do something that scares the shit out of you. Yeah. Always do something that's nerve-wracking. Always do something that's difficult, whether it's a martial art or it's learning to dance or learning an instrument or something that's something hard. Like for Bill Bird does. He flies helicopters. Yeah. He plays the drums. I think things like that. There, I think those are critical. I think you need different, and it almost like should be thought of as like a protocol, like like cross training. That you're not just going to do your discipline, but you're also going to be involved in other um, other disciplines that they add to what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's what you're hitting on exactly why I said yes to dancing with the stars which dancing is the thing that I know that I'm worst at was because it's like that's the scariest thing to me and if I do that then I can do so many other things yeah. that I'm also scared of that I'm not as scared of as dancing like it's really weird but like 
I like I'm I like talk a lot about sex. I'm into like I want to do weird sex things in my life that I haven't <laughs> done. Like I want to go to sex clubs. I want to have threesomes. I've, I'm pretty vanilla, even you though you want to go to a sex club. Oh the yeah. The problem with a sex club is the other people in the sex club, they're also there. Yeah, no, that's not the problem for me. Fucking weirdos jizzing on your feet and shit. No, they're not. It's all very consensual, and it's all very. Good I just you. Wanna, you studied it. I, I I know enough going in. Like I'm ready for it now because I okay. did Dancing with the Stars. I'm like, oh, I could go have so a threesome. So you're ready to go to have a threesome. A hundred percent. And I was not before because I always wanted to say I've done a threesome. I've always wanted that experience to talk about. It seems like an interesting thing. But do you want to do a threesome with two dudes, or do you want to do a threesome with a girl Both. and a guy? Both. Both. I mean, I would Mix I would up. prefer for my own, like, I would like more dudes than women because I'm just not, like, What if dying. the dudes started making out in front of you? You'd be like, check, No, please. it has to be about me. Ah. Yeah, I have to be, like, they have to be mostly <laughs> into me. But I can, I don't, I don't mind a little bit of gayness going on. Like, Ooh. I can, I don't, I think we're all, like, very fluid or whatever, but. Good luck with that thought. Uh <laughs> I I I am totally like if a guy is kind of gay but is like enough into me I'm fine with it. Really? Yeah. If you've sex and dicks in your life, wow. You can I could what date you. I woman. don't care. Isn't aren't I cool? How many dicks? Um, like is if you're bisexual, if you like equal dicks to pussies, I don't you're care cool as that? long as you're very into my pussy while it's in front of you. Is that rare though? That seems rare. It seems like most girls would be skeeved out. I think that is rare. No, yeah. I think it's rare, but I think it shouldn't be. I think that. Um, well, why shouldn't it be? Shouldn't you what, like whatever you like? Like, if you're just in a s totally straight man, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not homophobic no, or bisexual-phobic to the point where you judge them and you hate them. But you shouldn't li have to like them. Well, okay, here's... I, I don't think that... I don't think that... Liking dick makes you like pussy any less if you also if you're bisexual It's not like you have an, an amount of liking other people's body parts to give out and you're giving half of that to dicks and half of that to pussies I think you can like them both equally mm. and be as excited by them I've in front of you I, don't, I've never met anybody like that. I haven't I've, I've met bisexual men who like I have who a joke like them about equally. bisexual people that I don't really totally believe but it was just a good joke Yeah, that I, I kind of believe that I, I I believe in gay women, but and I believe in bisexual women, but I think there's two types of gay men. I think I don't necessarily believe in bisexual men. I think there's gay men, and then there's really gullible straight dudes who get talked into blowing crafty gay guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that those those things do that's exist. That's real. There's definitely some gullible straight dudes, but I do think there are really bisexual men. I'm just that's just uh, a joke. Of course, that's just a joke. But I do I I think you're right. Those do exist. Like Fuck, very yeah, gullible exist. straight men who have yeah. been and who will live with that secret and They're are called walk John around. Travolta's massage <laughs> therapists. <laughs> Allegedly, just Allegedly. a joke, John. I'm sure, you're a good guy. Did no, you but just I jokes? think uh, yeah, I'm into. I don't. I I think that if uh, I'm not like I don't look at women and go like oh, I want to fuck her but if a girl was like super into me I could totally date someone and fall in love with someone and like be in a romantic sexual relationship with a girl that would be just as gratifying as with a man could but she you? would have to be she would have to be into me mm. like I think that's the thing that I'm into men that would she aren't have to look a certain way too are you what because there's certain she lesbians have like a they dude have like a energy look. like a like Tom a, Arnold energy or like a, a Tom Arnold. <laughs> You know, like, 
kind of gals. One woman is looking for a woman who you know has those a of gals, energy. They wear like down vests when it's just a little too warm out for that vest. Yeah, that I kind of like lesbian. those women because they're just like, I just like a woman who just. Lumberjacky. I like to be pursued. So any kind oh. of energy you give me like where you're like, I want you and I'm coming after you and I'm not, not going to really take no for an answer. Not in a rapey way. We all know. But right. like, I do like a, a, a an energy of like. But like a thick woman with a big neck. Really, <laughs> no, I no? I like a feminine looking. I, I like a any type of woman, but I think it's an energy. Like but yeah, yeah, like I've met like women a Ruby who, Rose type character. I mean, I've, that's everyone's like, yeah, that would be is that nice. But, that's what everyone wants. No, I mean Jennifer Aniston is the, my favorite. Oh. Per, like she's if she like went the lesbo. hot. If she's like, I know what's wrong with me. This is why I can't settle down with a dude. Oh God, I want yes. a woman. Yes, like Nikki Glaser. Oh my God! I would you be into that? Yes. For real? Yes. Wow. If she was into me, but if it was like a, if she was like, I'm gonna try this out, then no. But if she was like, I want this girl and I'm gonna come after her, oh yeah. Wow. Big Have time. you had a lesbian relationship before? No, not even close. But not I even did close. make. I make. I made out with most girl. I made out with like all my girlfriends before I ever kissed a guy because I was so mm. scared of boys that I just the first time I got drunk I made out with all of my girlfriends because we wanted to kiss boys but we didn't have boys around who That's liked hilarious. us. That's hilarious. That's the difference between girls and boys. Guys don't ever do that. Oh, they just don't talk about it, Joe. Really? Oh, they do that. Yeah. Do they? They oh, get drunk yeah. and make out with each other? I think so. How many guys? If you had like 10 guys in a room, how many guys do you think have made out with their buddies? I'm not kidding you. I think four out of 10 guys have done some gay stuff early on before that they had a chance to do it with women. Straight men who identify as straight. You are dealing with a severely impaired sample size. <laughs> like whatever, whatever semi-homo energy you're attracting... <laughs> <laughs> These are all the Travolta masseuses. All, oh, <laughs> poor John Travolta. Oh, it's just a joke, John. Just a joke, John. Um, the, I don't think that's the number. I mean, I think it's probably like, what is the, what is, what's the standard accepted number of uh, homosexuals in a population? Is it Isn't one it out of 100? One out of 10. Is that real? I think it's like 10%. There would be so many more. Just stop and think about that, right? I There's think... 20 million people in Los Angeles. You think one out of ten? I think there's two hundred thousand. Wait, no, that would be like wait, twenty million people. One that's so that's two million people. Okay, um, that is a lot of gay. It's people. a lot of homos. <laughs> you can still say homo. It's you can definitely still, yeah, say homo. still say homo. Ah, you fucking homos. Enjoy it while but you it's can. Dangerous saying fucking homos. It's like hey, oh, well what then you it's, there's an aggression yeah. to it. You beautiful homos. You... <laughs> then you can say, all right, he respects us. What are the numbers? What yeah, is this? What numbers got? of gays broken down by? Yeah. yeah, but how many closeted gays? See, the yeah, problem is the I thing. know so many closeted gay guys, and there's step, there's several stages to that. There's closeted gays that are out to their friends, which I have friends that are closeted gay that are out to their friends, but they're in the business, and so they're closeted. Right. But then there's closeted even to their friends. I have I have one friend in particular. You know who you are, motherfucker. No, sorry. Or to Just themselves. <laughs> okay, it's a six yes. percent of women, or five percent of women. Five point one percent of them, and three point nine percent of men. Yeah. That are identifying. So then let's round right. up a little bit. Yeah. How much will we round up? I gotta round up at least a percentage. More. So we're we're dealing with about five percent. I think 5%. Men. If you're rounding up 5%, then we're looking at 10%, Joe. No, it's 3 to five. Oh, what do you mean? How, so 5% of women identify and 3.9% of men. So if you're rounding up, if you're doubling that, which you're saying rounding up 5%, 
Or you're running up 5% up of the percent. What? We both suck at math. I know. It's been, it's been clearly established. I think, uh, say if, if they're saying it's 3%, I think it's probably 5%. Okay. Oh, I see that's what you're what saying. saying. You're rounding up 1%. Yes. Okay. Then that's what, that's what I'm saying too. I think yeah. it's about. Yeah. And probably maybe even more because there's just, it's just such a stigma. Whenever there's a stigma to something, there's always going to be a bunch of people that are just in denial of it and just they're sad that they are. And, you know, there's yeah. a lot of that. There was a guy that I used to know and uh, he was a comic and he used to have the most ruthlessly homophobic material. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. Like he used to do like he used to. God, he used to do these really mean, nasty jokes about gay guys. And then uh, I moved out here to L.A., and then uh, somebody said, hey, did you hear that guy's gay? I went, what? He goes, yeah, no he way. finally came out. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And then uh, I go back home, went back to Boston, and then all of a sudden he's like a big old queen. It's like he just <laughs> – he was just keeping it in, the poor bastard. You know, I then, think that that that's it happens all the time. The guys yeah. when when guys have acts where I watch on stage and they're just they hate women so much. That's that's not so much mm. hating gay people, but hating women in a way that they're like a lot of guys that um I have I have a lot. I used to hate my vagina a lot because I would hear what? guys talk about like beef curtains or fucking Arby's five for five dollars. Like, and I have like one of those vaginas, right? <laughs> So I have like more, I have like a, a, like not like, it's not like hanging down to my knees, but like I have a, I don't have a pussy you see in porn. Like, a, like I don't have like a perfect little designer vag. And I used to be really insecure about it because I used to hear guys say like too many lips down there. It's gross. And I think that a lot of guys that um, have that kind of mentality about pussies and they really say just that want dick. they're gay and i would be disgusted with pussy too i would have that like oh looks like a roast beef i would act that way too if i were a gay man that if i had to Could be. do something that i didn't really want to be doing by nature so mm. that's where i think that comes from sometimes could be so I, when I see a guy, when I see a guy on stage just say like really disgusting things about women and just hate women, I'm just like gay, 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 gay. Could be. Do you remember like I mean, well I was gonna say bring up that what is his name Ted? Uh, we talked about him the other day on the podcast. I used to have a whole bit about him from night. 2009 that my that special no no he was the the famous preacher ted haggard, oh. Ted haggard. oh yeah ted haggard who was f f just fucking rabidly anti-gay turned out he was smoking meth and having gay sex with gay prostitutes <sighs> yes. and then they outed him on cnn the gay prostitute was like i sucked your dick and we smoke crack together and he was like oh. but that's what it is it's like these guys they hate what they are and there's so many of these anti-gay politicians that turn out to be gay. I know. There's so many of them. It's almost like go the other way because yeah. you were just telling us who you are. Right, this has happened too know. many times. They don't know. Well, I think the thing about people that are living a lie Ugh. is that they're always living in that lie and they can't see truth because they're spouting. I think if you lie all the time, like you're always not expressing yourself in an honest way, you get super confused and you don't know what it is. It's like... Comics who steal jokes can't write jokes. You ever notice that? Yes. There's no comics who steal jokes that write that amazing jokes. That also write amazing jokes and they also steal. Do they don't do they both. They don't do both. You do one or the other. Right, right. Yeah. Because to be living in that lie, like, oh, yeah, I thought of that. Yeah, it's my joke. Like, the, you're constantly, like, justifying it and living in your head like that. Those comics, when, they're, when they get outed and they're forced to write their own material, 
they fucking suck. <laughs> they suck like like a joke, like an open micer or something, like someone who doesn't know how to do comedy. And they could have been doing comedy for 10, 15 years. Yeah. But you'll see their material and compare it to the jokes they stole. And you're like, wow. You're so right. To live a lie that bad, to, to steal material, you mm. can't be actually a creative no. genius person in another way. What's well, a totally different It's kind a of different, thinking. you're different. You're yeah. not a comedian. You're a thief. You're yeah. you're a magician. You're doing something. You're doing an you're an actor. Just a liar. You're a liar. Yeah, you're just a liar. It's not the same thing. So the opposite oh, of the thing. Oh, it's so interesting yeah. to take that away from them. Yeah. And then they We've seen it. Yes. We don't have to mention any names. Yeah. But we've seen it. And when you see it it's super obvious. And they get terrible as they get older. As they get further along in their career, instead of getting better, they get way worse. That's so weird when you're like, we've all been accused of mis of stealing material because there's one tweet that someone did. And it's like, well, that's a similar thought. And it's like, well, it's a parallel thought, idiot. It's there's like, always parallel if, thought. If I was a joke thief, when I've been accused of stealing, it's like, why would I? So then all of my stuff is stolen because why would I do right. that? Why would I take that one? Do I really need that that badly that I would steal it? And then all this other stuff is original. Then all of my stuff is probably stolen. Right. And when that's one of the weird things you do find out when you find out that someone's a thief, you then, know, then oh someone no. starts going through their material and comparing it to all these other comedians. You go, holy shit. Like, look at all this. Oh, my God. And then look at that. That was a bit from Mad TV. Oh, that's a Cosby bit. Oh, my God. And then you see, like, most of their thoughts, they've somehow or another pilfered from someone else and just sort of repackaged. And that's a different kind of talent. I'm almost like, okay, I respect that you were able to have that ruse going for that long. That's like a different kind of, that's, a, you're just a. Can you imagine that? that you're, oh, just being that. that much of a. Oof. And then How do you, just waiting for someone to pull out that YouTube clip. And just, Ooh. but they must not, I don't think they, I don't think they think about, they can't possibly they think. think about that. Yeah. I mean, when Keeps I used to, when I used to shoplift, I was worried you're about getting caught. Caught, yeah. Oh yeah. How, how I was much did you shoplift? Like not was this while you were anorexic? Mm -hmm, big time. Oh, I was like, I were was addicted to, to it. Were you I didn't shoplifting even to keep yourself from thinking about the fact that you were really skinny? I was shoplifting to stop from thinking about how I was hungry or that I was hated myself or it was just a high I would get, like wow. getting things. And I would steal things that I didn't want, that I didn't like, that I would never wear, that just I just, for the just rush. because I could. Right. Yeah. And I always knew I would get caught and I knew that I had to get caught to quit, but I wanted to keep going as long as I could and then I got caught and I mm. never shoplifted again after getting caught but like I remember getting caught and being like I knew I needed to get caught thank you like I'll never do it again and she was like I'm fucking tired of this shit and screaming at me she was like a couple years older than me it was an Urban Outfitters in Lawrence Kansas I was on a <laughs> I was on a break from work and I just went over to do some light shoplifting wow and I got caught on the way out the What'd like the beeper went off it was so embarrassing because she went through my bag and she goes, really? This shirt? This is disgusting. Like She was <laughs> judging and she was like cooler than me. It was so humiliating on every level. On every, I was wearing my uniform from my the restaurant job where I worked next door. And it was the Urban Outfitters that was like the only cool place to shop in my college town. And she was like, you're banned for three years. I'm like, this is the rest of college. So I'd have to go in in disguises to actually purchase things because wow. I was banned. But I, I never shoplifted again. But I what remember. What kind of disguises did you wear? I would just like wear sunglasses and like a scarf. Fat and like. Suit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Eddie Murphy when he put on the fat suit. 
shallow the nutty professor. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, but I, but being someone who stole things, like I knew that I would get caught, and I wanted to get caught because it's a terrible life. Yeah. Do you think these people want to get caught? No, no, I think they just want to kill. They get addicted to killing. You know, one of the things that happens, like when someone gets caught stealing, we were just talking about this the other day, um, was that when someone gets caught stealing and then you call them on it, they say, I won't do that again. And then you say, hey, you hear he just did your bit at the Laugh Factory? Like that motherfucker. He said he would stop doing it. But But these people aren't. They get addicted to killing. Yeah. They get addicted to it. Can you imagine being having that taken away from you? Like, that's Mm. what I keep thinking about. With comedians that have had to not go on stage anymore because something happens. Obviously, mm. the the Me Too stuff that's happened. I like. There's a part of me that's like, what if someone said I couldn't go on stage for a year? Like I was banned. Right. Like like Michael I, I, Richards. Well, yeah. Banned like forever. Like he's basically banned forever. I wouldn't. I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't do stand up at night. And like I, I'm not jerking off in front of people, so like I'm not at risk of losing right. that right now. But like. I don't think he thought he was at risk of losing I that. I bet he did think that. Did you? Th- do you yeah. think like it was just a matter of time? I mean, I know yeah. that maybe towards the end when everything was kind of blowing up around him with other men that he was maybe worried about it. But like, do you think he went years of like, I hope this doesn't come back? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a, you know, that's a weird one. That's a because that's one that like, how do you describe that? I mean, how do you how do you defend that? Like, it's you really can't. It's just a weird one. It's just, it's not the worst one. But why it's not, not just say I, I'm into jerking off in front of women. I don't know well, why it's my he, thing. I'm sorry. He should have just listened to Jim Norton. Jim Norton should have acted Jim as his Norton. attorney. He should have done a press conference and Jim Norton should have been his attorney. They would have fucking cleared that thing up in a heartbeat. Yeah, Jim Norton Jim should have opened about said, it. From- Jim Norton would have said, well, I, I jerk off in front of women as well, but a lot of times they have dicks. And uh, <laughs> that's what I'm into. And like, he would have... <laughs> I mean... Yeah, Norton is so free because oh, he so talks free. about like his he, he how he's into trannies and like that that's his thing and you're not allowed to say tranny anymore by the way. Oh, that's right. It's that's a new right. Thing. But he can still say it because he's into them. <laughs> he says it and no one even calls him out on it. They just let it slide. <laughs> that's he really does like because he does so much for the women. community. Yeah, yeah, we, I know. He really he does. Like, I think he's it. talked about liking having people shit on him. Yep. Like he puts yeah. down a tarp before yeah. women come over sometimes. Yeah, he likes having women piss in his mouth. I remember reading his books like early on in college and being like, I can't believe this man <laughs> talking an so openly about this. But thank God for him. Yeah. There's nothing. He's not worried about anything coming no. back to haunt him. No, he's so brave because of the fact that he's so ruthlessly honest like that and mm-hmm. loved for it. Yeah. You know? Monster Rain, him talking yeah. about blowing another kid <laughs> underneath a porch as a kid. That was. Yeah. I mean, people now talk openly about being molested or having weird sexual experiences Mm -hmm. with boys early on. And it's more of like an okay thing. When Jim Norton was doing it back in 2002, no one talked about that shit and was and joked about it and was beloved by O&A fans for it. I mean, he he was someone that early on I was like, I this is different to me and I love it. And I want to be on the other side of this where I can talk about all this stuff too and not. Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah. there's so much freedom in being able to be like, yeah, I blew a kid under a porch when I was a kid. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with, I was a kid. There's so freedom in being yourself. Being yourself, being yeah. honest. Yeah. And, and you find that when you are yourself, as long as you're not hurting anybody, yeah. you, when you are yourself, you right. find people actually love you for it. Yes. Yeah. They, and they love the fact that you can be so brave that you can talk about all the different things that you love that other people might be scared of admitting. Yes. 
Yeah, like, because like that, like his love of transgender women. Like think of that, like if that came out about someone who was trying to hide that, it would be devastating to them. But to him, it's just like he, he'll, he'll just talk about it openly and laugh about it. You yeah. Know? And it's not a point of contention at all. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not something he's ashamed of. It's just who he is. I know. I've, I've, him and there, there's several other people though, but just to, I remember Sarah Silverman hearing her talk about being a bedwetter and I was, that was like my biggest shame for so long. And then I was just like, oh, okay, well then that, then it's okay. Right. Just that all it took was one cool woman to say she did something embarrassing. And I was like, okay, it's acceptable now. Now I can talk about it. And so that's why I talk about like, I like anal sex. I don't think that it's a cool thing. I'm not saying that like, I, I'm not trying to put that out there as like, aren't I naughty and don't you want to fuck me? Like, that's not my intention with it, even though people will put that on me sometimes. But it's because you should try it. It feels good. And I want to, like, put it out there to women. Like, it's it actually like I wanted just more people to experience it and not be scared of it. And it is gross and it is scary and it is weird. But like I, I talk openly about it because I hope that. If you are a girl that's into it, you're not ashamed of being into it. Or if you're a guy that's into it, you're not ashamed of being into it. You should have the speech to the two gay guys you're going to have a threesome with. I, honestly, <laughs> I will. Listen. Do you think you would be excited about a dude butt-fucking a dude who's fucking you? Like if you got some sort of human centipede thing going? Um, no, because I don't think he could focus on me if he was being penetrated oh, himself. Nick, and it would be more about taking it from like, me. Like, Nikki, you're the best, I think. Yeah, oh, exactly. That's this, the face I don't want to see. This experience is so amazing. I think it's because of you. It might be the dick in my ass. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I couldn't stand that. Yeah, I would need more focus on me. If he was concentrating on you. Yeah. If he's like, you, you, him. Yeah. You, it, you, him. <laughs> you, you, him. Two thrusts, one back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they have that to wouldn't both do it be for... concentrating on yeah, you. Yeah, both focused on me. I need to right. be the focal the focal point mm. if I'm going to be in one of these things, which mm. I think you can arrange that. Good luck. Good luck arranging what people are going to focus on. Oh, that's a good point. But that's that's the thing that I was fearing of doing a threesome is like, what if I get in it and like... What if I have to go down on a girl and like I'm Ugh, doing it and I'm like it smells like fish. Yeah, like but, it, it, it's bad pussy but, or something or it's like what I well, bad pussy. What's bad pussy? I don't know. I've never. <laughs> I, but what if it is? What if what if I just don't like pussy? But right. what's very but possible? When I did Dancing with the Stars, I really came out of it being like I'm ready to eat some pussy now because I faced my what? fear of dancing in front of millions of people, which is like the scariest thing I've ever done on live TV. Anything could go wrong. And now I'm like, what's, why what's am I next? so scared of a threesome? Because I think my thing about a threesome is I'm going to get into it and I'm going to be like, I don't want to be here and that I'll still have to go through with it. But right. like, no, I won't. No, I'll just, just go, go um, check please. You know what? I like, I changed my mind, Yeah. which I do all the time now with hookups. I think that as a woman, we are so conditioned to think that men have to come at the end of it. There's the thing called blue balls and like, and that if you've, if you've made out with a guy and gotten alone with a guy and you've decided to hook up with a guy and you're like, I'm getting naked with a guy, you have to go through the whole thing until he orgasms. Like mm. that is what, that is what we are sold. Because men put that pressure on you. It's not men. It's women. It's magazines. It's TV. Magazines tell you you have to make them come? Well, like five thousand ways to blow his mind and to do oh, this with a feather you know that kind of shit how do they keep coming up with those lists i mean how many it's all the same things episodes how many co- issues have been made 
I mean, it's the it's same thing with workouts. Forever. The last ab workout you'll ever need. Well, then you better not tell me another one because you just <laughs> said this is the last one I'll need, even though you'll say that next year, too. So there's endless things. But I but my new thing is now like when I used to be so scared of hooking up with guys because I was like, if I agree to kiss a guy alone in a room, then I'm probably agreeing to have sex with him. And then I don't even want to put myself in that scenario. So mm. I just didn't even kiss boys. See, that's something that a man doesn't have to fear, right? If a man is alone with a woman and he's making out with her in a room, he doesn't think like, oh my God, I have to satisfy her or she's going to be mad at me. Yeah. And it, it, it's not even about like, it is, it is exactly what you're saying. Cause I want to backtrack and say, it's not about like, he's going to force me to have sex with him. It's like, he's going to be upset. I'm, he's going to be mad or disappointed in me. Right. He's just going to like, he's just going right. to be mad. And right. I don't want a guy to be mad at me. Right. And or so I always you don't want a bad, uh, an unpleasant experience I, for the other person. Exactly. You right. just don't. You just want to be yeah. nice, right? And accommodating, and <laughs> and that's what I felt. Always felt like if a, if I if I make out with a guy, I've so many times in my life been making out with a guy and been said in my head like, "What's the least I can do to make this guy come? Like what? The least. What, the least. what? What can I do that is going to make me feel the least bad about myself or like something I." What do I want to, what can I do to make, what, how the, can this guy get off and I can leave feeling good about myself and like I didn't do something I didn't want to do, which mm. a lot of times you do something you don't want to do. Right. It has happened to me. Do I call rape on it? Do I look back on that guy and go, he raped me? No. Do you think that the because solution. Because he thought I was into it. Do you think the solution to that is wait way longer before you get intimate with someone? Like get to know them really well? No, I think the solution is. Educating women and telling them that it's okay if a guy doesn't come and it is okay the second you're like I'm not really feeling this well, that's that's the case for sure But I mean personally for you to not be in that situation like know a guy really well before you're intimate with him Because isn't that part of the problem is a lot of times People get intimate with someone especially if alcohol is involved you get intimate with someone yeah. before you know them And then you may be in the situation and you're like this is not what I wanted and now I feel gross And I want to get out of here. I think yeah, that's part of it. And to not, I think it really is, though, as a woman, just being able to be, say, make the situation uncomfortable by being like, I'm done here. I'm mm. so sorry. I'm right. not going to come. And I, so neither are you. And maybe we'll do this again sometime. <laughs> I've done that recently. You sound right? like the lady who's in charge of the audition. I know. Thank you, Nikki. I really Thank have you. reached that point with myself, though, we'll where I'm touch. Like, I did that to someone recently you where I was just like, touch. I was literally hooking up with them and I was like I don't just I think this is it this is gonna be it. like and it was but here's my thing is like more I hate being this woman that but if I'm gonna get anything across to your listeners I I because it's I sound like a hack 80s female comic right now but like more foreplay like I never thought I'd be a woman that says that just like we need I can always be convinced to have sex with you. If I'm willing to make out with you, then I am I am somewhere in the realm of things. And I'm not giving this to every woman, but for me, I am willing to, to take a good dicking from you. <laughs> you have that opportunity. If I'm making the out with you. The door is open. Yes. Convince right. me. Right. Turn me on. Mm. Don't just try to stick your dick in me right after making out. That's not going to be the way to fuck me. Some guys, I think, panic and, and so go, many guys I do gotta that. get in there right now, quick, I know. before she says no. Why? I don't know. They're panickers. But before she says no, no, you have all this time to get me to say yes. Some people are panickers. Just, we need to bring back dry humping. It dry is humping. so hot. High school Get to style. the point where I'm so revved up that I'm like, 
I need it. Like, girls are, I want, because you know what it feels like to get fingered when you're not turned on? It feels like the way it feels when a girl when a girl grabs your dick and you're not hard. You know that feeling where you're like, oh no no no, too early. Don't do it. Don't do it yet. Like, let me just get. That's the way it feels when a guy goes to finger you and you're not wet. You're like, I could get there, but now I'm not going to because now I'm insecure that I'm not wet and now it like I just want to cut this thing. So, don't touch us there until we're like, please, like until we take your hand and do it. Right. That is, and and if you get us there, which you will by doing all the other stuff. Dry humping, over the pants stuff, uh, feeling our tits, kissing, kissing. Get us revved up, and we will ask you to. We will beg you to fuck us. You should give a seminar. I should. See, like this is like you feel. I feel like you're on stage in front of a large audience, telling people how to do this. I really, I could, I want to give like sex TED talks because I think that I could get men and women to have more sex and enjoy it more because I've just given this stuff so much thought. But I. I really hate being the girl to say more. You talk more about f- it on stage? Yeah, I do. I talk about this a lot. I'm, I'm just starting to get into this area. This is, I'm. It seems like it's ripe for material. Oh, man, it's it's just true. And, and I'm, I'm also telling guys in the audience who I might fuck. Like, I'm hoping that there's a guy in the back of the room that I'm, like, oh. into. You know, I've done that before where right. there's, like, a guy I'm crushing on and I know he's in the room. And I'm like, here's the handbook. <laughs> just, like, get, do some over-the-pants fingering. Over-the-pants fingering. Jeans, tight jeans. Over the mm-hmm. pants. Use the seam on where you're the, 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 mm-hmm. that little notch. That's a that's a clit thing. All right. I'm sorry, Joe. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. We just did three hours. <laughs> sorry to end it like that. Oh but really, no. That's the end. No, it's fine. That the end. It's fine to end it that way. Oh. We can keep going if you like, just to like settle it down. No, we don't need to. I can I can I can you get good? off on a high point. That was good. <laughs> it's good. To get out there. I don't need any foreplay on the back end. Okay. Excellent. So I don't need to rev down. Okay. <laughs> Nikki Glazer, everybody. Oh, tell everybody where they can find you on yeah. Instagram. Where where can they send these dick pics that are coming your oh, way? Oh God, please don't coming. send any dick pics. They're I don't coming. want any dick pics. They're coming. Um, I'm on Instagram, Nikki Glazer, Twitter, <laughs> Nikki Glazer. I have a Sirius XM show every single morning, Monday through Thursday. Where do you do that from? Uh, from New York, uh, in the Sirius building. I live in New York City, generally. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. I see you out here so often, though. I'm here all the time. But yeah, it's oh. every morning from 10 to 12 Eastern on uh, Comedy Central Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 95. So you have to get it's up and be up. there every morning at 10 a.m.? Yeah. Oof. I know. That's like a job. It is a job. You like it? I love it. Cool. It's really fun. Yeah, this I love it. This was fun. This was fun. Really? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you for having me. I My asked pleasure. you to be on it. I just confronted you backstage, and I was scared, but you're awesome, and I really appreciate you having me. Well, thank you. You're awesome, too. It was really it was fun, fun talk. It was fun talking to you. Nikki Glazer, everybody.